I thought that was sort of special. So I thought I'd, I thought I'd share that with you. Climb, baby, climb, and listen to the Uncut Gems podcast, a weekly show where we talk about movies that no one else wants to talk about, and this week's films more than others, I feel that's entirely true. This is episode 160, and my name's Randy. And my name is Jakob, baby. (laughs) And we have with us today (laughs) our guest and friend, the editor-in-chief of Clapper, Jack Luke Sharp. How are you doing, Jack? It's great to have you here. It's great to be here. I'm great to, to talk with you two. Not necessarily much about what we're going to talk about, but this is going to be oh. an interesting podcast, I'm sure. He's getting angry again. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so calm. It's unbelievable. We'll get there, yeah. though. We'll get yeah. there. I am keep calm. Your, keep your thumb on that yeah. switch, I, I want to yeah. say. <laughs> this is what everyone who's pissed off says. Don't tell me to calm down. Yeah. I am calm. I think we might get a network, uh, a network cameo here, I'm sure. Uh, all right let's do it live let's fucking do it live i'm a human being god damn it my life has value what okay (laughs) welcome to everyone who's listening out there thank you so much for choosing us it means an awful lot that you're here so thank you thank you if you were with us last week uh then you know what we're up to this month we're braving the skies with our february theme 1970s terror in the skies We started off our run of uh, thematic episodes last week when we talked about Skyjacked. And today we've got a big episode. We're talking about three air terror films. We'll get to it in a second. But before liftoff, we have to run through our flight checklist, as always, on Patreon. Yes, we have a Patreon channel, www.patreon.com slash uncutgemspod. This is where we release Patreon episodes three a month. That's sort of our commitment Usually we're talking about the better known films of cinema or we're just sort of going out and exploring the careers of various auteurs. For instance, in 2024, join us for our monthly career marathon episodes going one by one through the films of Catherine Bigelow. We released last month her debut film, The Loveless. So we had a conversation on that. Great conversation. Jack was with us. In a little less than two weeks, we are going to be releasing our second episode in that series, her second film, Near Dark. So watch for that. We've begun another year-long journey exploring the films of Spike Lee. We're doing his better-known films here on Patreon uh, to pair with one episode per month on the main show. So School Days was our Patreon Spike Lee major joint that we released last week. Next month, we're going to be talking about Do the Right Thing. So do the right thing, watch that movie, and come back and listen to our conversation next month. And this month also tying into our Terror in the Sky theme, our exclusive tie-in episode this month, and it's particularly relevant uh, to today's discussion, we talked about the 1970 hit film Airport. And arguably, just one little talking point out of that film, Arguably, Airport was the first big hit disaster film. So there's Mm -hmm. that. So go listen to that episode. So 
that's just what we've done this month. You'll find 80 or more episodes on our Patreon. Go check it out. We've got a full career David Lynch marathon, a full career John Cassavetes marathon on there for you to enjoy. We've got all of Soderbergh's work done, um, but his big films are here on Patreon. So again, that's all at patreon.com slash uncutgemspod. And if any of you out there are among our Patreon subscribers, just want to take a quick moment to say thank you. Your support means an awful lot. And if oh. you're yes, may may I do a bit bit of a brief shout out? Please do. Um, because and this this may be a bit preemptive because we we may have had a new patron joining, oh. who's joined on a, a, a as a free trial, uh, on a free trial basis. And as of rec- as of this recording, I don't know. Maybe he's still going to cancel. But you know, like Ottoman twenty two twenty two. Thank you very much for uh, checking out checking out our wares, and hopefully you're going to stay for longer. And also on that note, might as well just do a micro shout out because we have also a free subscriber. Because you can also just subscribe to to us to 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 the feed and listen to whatever we have for free in there. And there's a few of them. So we've got Iridescencia. I think that's how how you pronounce it. Thank you for checking us out. And actually, I've, I've, I've just checked because Patreon doesn't really send me notifications. It's just weird. So we have another free subscriber who's been with us since um, October. Um, and that's John. Let's just say, let's just keep it as John. So thank you very much for checking us out. And you know, like if you like what you're hearing, you know, three bucks to open up the everything that we have in here. And there's shit loads. <laughs> there, yeah. <laughs> There's, we, we talk a lot, and it's not just the 80 episodes. It's the fact that we talk and ramble hours on end. So it's not just 80 episodes. It's hundreds, if not thousands, of hours out there for you to listen you know, to. So Exactly. So just, you don't get it everywhere. We don't. No. Like, we just have these tantric conversations. <laughs> yeah, hoping to tickle something, and uh, we may or may not. But at any rate, it's sort of what we do. Oh, well, I get tickled. Sorry. <laughs> But we have a great time doing it. And thank you so much for spending time with us. It means a lot to us. So, yeah, again, um, no fees, no obligations. For one week, you can join us and, and check out what we have. And if you do want to sample some of our uh, episodes on Patreon to see what we're talking about over there, we do have some free unlocked episodes. So going back a couple of years, we had a... Um, a conversation about films that Reservoir Dogs inspired. So... Uh, we talked about Go and Boondock Saints and Way of the Gun. That was all in one episode. That's a free one. Heat, Cabaret, The Thing, The Exorcist. I'll let anyone who's interested look those up. Those are all free and unlocked and great episodes. So if you want to check those out, be our guest. And if you'd ever be so inclined to support us by subscribing, as Jakob said, that $3 goes a long way. It means a lot to us and there's a lot of value out there. At least we think there's a lot of value. There's a lot of stuff, if nothing else. Um and, you know, aside from that, if you're willing to like, share, tell a friend about us, what we do, we'd be super grateful for that gesture as well. So mm-hmm. thank you. All right. Today, it's not a direct flight. We have three stops to make. We're going to be talking about all three airport sequels. Not sure how this conversation is going to go, but I think that there's going to be a lot of crossover. So rather than rigidly devoting <laughs> an hour or crying, so, but, you know, there may be yeah. a lot of crying. Yeah, and there will be a lot of the the angry Gritting sound of bite. the teeth. But uh, just in terms of the structure of the episode, rather than saying, well, let's talk about this for an hour, let's talk about this for an hour, I'm going to run through the preambles of 
all three of the films, and then we'll just sort of have a conversation. We'll try to do it Let's that way. Let's talk about all three of them for three hours. <laughs> a piece. Uh, I don't know if I can take it, but anyway. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to do the preamble for all the films. You're not going to take it? How- Are you telling me you're not going to take it? <laughs> Are you getting angry? Uh, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> trying to regulate my emotions uh but yeah keep your finger on that switch because we might get there so anyway it's time time to check in clear security make our way to the gate because we are talking about airport 75 from 1974 airport (laughs) 77 from 1977 (laughs) and the concord airport 79 sorry there's an ellipsis in there the Concord, Concord dot, dot, dot. <laughs> the Concord, long pause, Airport 79, released in 1979. I, love it. I can't forget the fact that Airport 75 is from 1974. <laughs> I know. And it's not like it was released in December, you no. know, so it was released in like October. But anyway. Excuse me. Yeah. Would it be all right if I said hello to the little girl? Oh, I'm not sure. No, I guess so. Go ahead. Hi. Hi. I'm Sister Ruth. I'm Janet. That's a nice guitar. Thank you. Do you play? Oh, just a little bit. What kind of music do you like? Oh, I like um, I like rock music and uh, folk music, all kinds. Me too. Would you like to try? Okay. Is it all right if I sit here? Sure. Take better care of yourself Would you be kinder to yourself Would you be more forgiving of your human imperfections Airport 75, which was released in October 1974 This was directed by Jack Smite Known for, among other things, episodes of the Colgate Comedy Hour. There's that. Written by Don Ingalls, based on the film Airport. Uh, So it stars Charlton Heston, Karen Black, George Kennedy, and some stars from yesteryear, Gloria Swanson, Sid Caesar, um, and some up-and-comers, Linda Blair, Eric Estrada, uh, Norman Fell and Jerry Stiller are in there. I just I want to read these names because the supporting cast is probably going to be a talking point. Uh, all right, so for the plot synopsis, so Airport 75 is the one where a plane is struck, a big plane is struck by a small plane, killing a pilot and, kept, and incapacitating another one. So here's my plot synopsis with a little bit of help from ChatGPT. In Airport... In Airport 75, a plane takes to the sky with passengers below bidding loved ones goodbye. But trouble strikes fast mid-flight in the air. A collision occurs, leaving chaos, despair. With pilots now dead, Karen Black takes command. Charlton's there too, facing dangers firsthand. Through turbulence and strife, they strive to survive in Airport 75 where our heroes must thrive. See, this is why I love AI. Because you can ask... (laughs) 
to get yourself like a can you just provide a pro I, I i could imagine the prompt write a plot synopsis to, to airport 75 but in the form of a limerick in the, yeah in the style of twas the night before christmas you nailed it right there <laughs> okay so airport 77 released in 1977 is directed by jerry jameson um it is uh it stars jack lemon lee grant Brenda Vaccaro, Joseph Cotton, Olivia de Havilland, Christopher Lee, George Kennedy, and Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> the plot synopsis here, and by the way, this is the, the threat for Airport 77. A super jet is robbed, crashes into the ocean within the Bermuda Triangle, and is submerged underwater awaiting rescue. So plot synopsis. In Airport 77, a luxury jet takes flight on a journey serene in the still of the night. But disaster strikes swiftly when thieves take control and the jet crashes into the Atlantic's dark shoal. Testing his bravery, Jack Lemon swims underwater to survive the wreckage because he wants a daughter. Passengers cling to hope in the sequel to Airport while heroes begin rescue, including Jimmy Stewart. I think that, that just like the landing was kind of just someone shot the bed. Yeah. Uh, there's that and the final sequel that we'll be talking about the concord <laughs> ellipsis airport 79 released in 1979 was directed by david lowell rich who directed the horror at 37,000 feet so he's it's not his first kick at the can at uh, uh terror in the sky oh i've and, seen that one by the way yeah i know you saw that recently too and it was written by so Oh, shoot. I don't have the guy's name who wrote the story, but he's, uh, I think it's Jennings. Jennings Lang wrote the story, and he's an important figure in all of this uh, because he produced uh, Eric, the last Eric two. Eric Roth was, wrote Eric the screenplay. Eric Roth, none other than the Oscar winning writer of Forrest Gump and the co writer of Flowers of the Killer Moon. So, Killer, Flowers of the Killer Moon? Nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> other way around. Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, but at any rate, so this is an early Eric Roth script, <laughs> The Concord. Stars Alan Dion, Susan Blakely, Robert Wagner, George Kennedy, B.B. Anderson, Charo, David Warner, and Jimmy Walker. This, the threat in The Concord is someone is trying to kill a Concord passenger for knowing secrets about an illegal arms sales. Uh, and the plot synopsis. In The Concord, a sleek little French jet takes flight across the Atlantic, soaring with might. But danger looms large as corporate baddies conspire to bring down the Concorde with missiles and fire. Some passengers grumble while some play the sacks as the crew make brave choices, all based on the facts. The Concorde's a symbol where heroes don't fail, and through rockets and hookers we see Petroni prevail. All right, so those are the plot synopses. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much, ChatGPT, for the support on that. Uh, so Airport 75, just to sort of walk through this franchise, um, it's, there's not a lot of story necessarily to these. Airport was a huge, huge hit in 1970. Uh, in 1972, The Towering Inferno and The Poseidon Adventure, they were huge hits. So Universal was all about doing a sequel and to sort of further... Uh, you know, strengthen the presence of the disaster film. Universal was also working on the film Earthquake at the time. 
And George Kennedy and Charlton Heston both co-starred in that. And the film had the same cinematographer. And it was also produced by uh, Jennings Lang. So Earthquake and Airport 75 had major crossover. The script for Airport 75 popped up in the Universal Television Division as a proposed TV movie. Jennings Lang saw it and thought this would make a great disaster film. And then, boom, they started shooting that. Charlton Heston said 15 hours after he wrapped on Earthquake, he just sort of moved across the lot to start working on Airport 75. Gloria Swanson signed on quickly. She requested to write her own dialogue and to have a private bungalow on the Universal lot. That's probably going to be mentioned again, these oldsters coming into these productions. But anyway, Charlton Heston, he originally balked at doing this film because he had just done Skyjacked not that long ago and decided, though, that maybe it would be a good career move. So he walked, as I said, from the earthquake set across the you know, across the road to the airport 75 set. Universal rented a 747 for stunts and exterior shots at the cost of around $30,000 a day. And Airport 75's budget was approximately $3 million. A couple years later, Airport 77, after the reasonable success of Airport 75 and other disaster films, Airport 77... reasonable success. It was number five at the annual box office. I think it it made a killing. Yeah. And I have some results. We'll get into those in just a second. So it was very easy to greenlight the next airport. So Airport 77 was greenlit. Jennings Lang was the executive producer again. So he's sort of the guy that seems to be managing the disaster films over at Universal. Jack Lemmon had just had the film, and it's not even a film that I was familiar with, Alex and the Gypsy. And apparently it was a huge bomb. And Jack Lemmon thought he legitimately might not ever work again. So he asked his agent to accept the next high profile, high paying job that came up. And this was it, Airport 77. So a little side note on how the business was working over at Universal 2 at the time. Universal was actively building its TV product because, you know, there's a lot of growth in TV at the time. So a lot of productions at Universal were shot with additional footage so that the film a couple years after a theatrical release would be able to um, play regularly on on tv so you know and i remember growing up that there were all kinds of movies that seemed to play oh every year they're going to play this movie every year they're going to play this movie so airport the airport series was in this lineup the airport 77 budget was around six million the concord pause airport 79 (laughs) Jennings Lang, so he's he was still on board at Universal, and he's championing the series. So he's pushing for this fourth film. He's credited with, credited with writing the story. The screenplay was written by Eric Roth, as I mentioned, seven-time Oscar nominee, one-time winner. And so this is one of his first films. I, yeah. Anyway, um, Jennings Lang also lobbied Air France for years to be able to use a Concorde because he really loved this flight. The script was part allegedly partly allegedly based on an incident of Turkish Airlines flight 891 where there was an explosive decompression incident from a cargo hold door being blown off mid-flight. Alan Delon was trying to crack into uh, U.S. stardom and U.S. popularity so he ends up being one of the leads here Um, and behind the scenes apparently Alain Delon was a 
bit of a jerk. He was very upset with the size of his trailer, and I don't think he had a good experience. <laughs> he was upset with the size of his trailer. <laughs> uh, there's not a lot of behind-the-scenes details on these. So um, the film got huge laughs from test screenings and screenings for the Universal Brass to the point that Universal even marketed uh, the Concorde for its humor. Uh, so one quote oh, for... Oh, we're going to get to it. Yeah, one quote for it to sell it was, fasten your seatbelts, the thrills are terrific, but so are the laughs. And this is the biggest budget airport film. It had a $14 million budget. Um, still so made money. Still made money. So um, in terms of its reception, just a reminder to start off the series, airport was a huge hit. It was the second film, basically the first film made $100 million dollars. To make a hundred million dollars, Airport seventy five released in nineteen seventy four. Yeah, but they're just a couple weeks apart or something. So all right, okay. So we'll we'll call it tie. Apologies apologies for just fact checking you incorrectly. No, that's that's what the uh, research department is for. No worries. I'm not doing any research. I'm just heckling. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, then then stop. Airport 75, released in 1974. It was also a big hit. It made over $100 million worldwide. Um, it did make significantly less, though, in the U.S. Critics hated it. Pauline Kael called it cut-rate swill. Roger Ebert called it corny escapism. Airport 77, the second film, was a hit, made $91 million worldwide. Decreasingly less in the U.S. These films are making less and less in the in the United States. Critics also disliked it. The New York Times said about Airport 77, it doesn't look like a film so much as it looks like a number of corporate decisions. Ebert gave it two out of four, calling it big, slick entertainment. Therefore, it's never boring for too long. And the Concorde, pause, Airport 1979, released conveniently in 1979, made $65 million worldwide. It, it was a hit, made its money back, um, but only $13 million. It wasn't a hit in the States. It made $13 million in the U.S. It made $52 million in the rest of the world. Critics hated it. Janet Maslin said, the Concorde is enough to persuade anyone to stay firmly on the ground. The legacy of the airport series includes inspiring a series of successful airplane comedies. Um, and it probably, I'll just sort of throw this out as an interesting trivia piece. So each for each of these films, there, was, there were actual aircraft that were rented out from uh, major airlines and three of the planes that were used in these films, so the jets that were used in Airport, Airport 75, and the Concorde, they all ended up crashing. So, except for the one, the one that was used in Airport 77, the rest of them all crashed, actually. And all three sequels entered the Razzie Hall of Shame in 1983, for whatever that's worth. But <laughs> that's the legacy. Now it's our turn to chat about these films. So, Jack, maybe we'll start with you. We'll get your thoughts on the series, and if you want to make a comment or two about each of these films, and then we'll just sort of get into it try to go chronologically we will but i just feel that we'll be all over the place so yeah of course i'll um go i'll start with the 75 i was slightly worried going after airport what what jacob said about having a really interesting take on this film because i was slightly worried I mean, where, the, where well we'll get there but i was just, slightly just worried. Like, what i said was i'm i have a take that make will make jack shit his pants and I, I'm, that's I'm what gen- i said i'm generally worried about it because <laughs> 
I went into this, I was thinking, and I thought to my, partly was, it was a response from watching airport. And the, the second response was like, I wonder what he's seen in here. So I was looking for it and looking for it. And, and I never really, I never really found anything, but I will say this, what the complaints I had of airport, this one does sort of the complete um, opposing nature to it. So this has absolutely no plot whatsoever and goes for the, um, the, the, the set piece which I felt like when we did airport was the other way around, which was, was quite like, oh, this is interesting. So I appreciate that what they did was they cut down most of the shit and let the audience have the moment in the sky, which, which was fair enough. That being said, this was still a disappointment for me. However, I still think so, this is not a bad little feature, 75. It's not bad. It's, it's exactly what I thought it was going to be. It was very much the spectacle has gone with airport. It's gone with, the, with earthquake, the towering inferno. And this is the second tier of it. This is the not B mover, just a little bit more elevated for its time. But it would probably have done me some good watching being on the Skyjacked episode because I can feel like they were just guns for hire at this point. And I feel like this is ultimately a more economic response. That being said, they do do some. They do do. They, 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 they do, do 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 in here yeah, for sure. Yeah, we'll yeah, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. <laughs> there is some interesting creative choices that the uh, the craftier uh, in response of the, um, the, the, the the its predecessor. Um, I thought it was interesting. The set pieces were were, were like in- intriguing enough. For the most part, it wasn't waiting for something either. It was quite prominent. The the, the, the tension and the atmosphere was held throughout. So I thought it was it was it was more commendable. Um, but it, it 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 goes too far in response of its predecessor in the it just starts so you get no sort of warm for interest with the characters it feels like it, the 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 complaints that they, they saw from airport was was a complete like we have to be so strict here we have to cut all the fat off but when you cook you have to cook with a little bit of fat get a little bit of texture get a little bit of taste with it here it really is just lard yeah it, 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 it's very it's a very interesting response I mean, I was, I was quite thankful that the Universal logo was at the front. It was like, oh, God, they must have oh, some hope. I was so happy to yeah. see it. <laughs> there is some hope. But it was... It was it, it, for those who don't know, it's on our Patreon. <laughs> Patreon.com. Just tune in today for discussion and what we have to say about the 15 seconds of darkness in front yeah. of the film. There's no Malik-inspired um, venture here. Um, but I think for an action little vehicle, it's, it's actually fine. Um, it has absolutely nothing to do with this franchise, and I think it probably would be more beneficial um, of it. We'll, 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 I'll get that into, into details when we go into it a little bit, bit further on. I'll just quickly mention 77 and 79. So this might come as a surprise here. I actually quite enjoyed Airport 77 with the knowledge and the context of I know exactly what it is. It is an utter B-mover, but... I actually had a load of fun with it. There was like a compelling nature to have that story produced in a weird way. Like it was just strange. Like, it, it was, it was, it was not elevating anything, but it was just taking a different story. Well, not necessarily taking the same story, but changing the, the the pieces around. It's just something I thought was like at least interesting enough that they tried to evolve this franchise. We'll get into that a bit later because there's a few bits and bits. I quite like aquatic um, films as well. Uh, I quite like stuff like that. Just taking it out of the um, out of the ordinary. 79 is an absolute disaster um, to, to, to a point where... Well, it's a disaster movie, no? Well, it yeah. is, to a point where... It's a movie disaster, sorry. Yeah, yeah. well, to a, to a point in which if I wasn't doing this podcast, I would have, turn, do, I I would have turned it off. Yeah, I, I would have turned this off. 
79 <laughs> is the reason why I, I sometimes hate watching films. It, I, I, if I'm going to at least watch something, I want to find a, a, even a remote undertone or, or, or a social political comment. I want at least to get something from it. 79, all, jo- all, all jokes aside, I think is, is, is generally is it, it's just vile. It's an absolute shit fest of just of, of where greed comes into a franchise where they just dish it out with absolute no moral compass. That film serves nobody but the, but the, uh, the people who made it in a sense of economic um, value. And even then, it's absolute just insepid. There's nothing to that film at all. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. It's not remotely funny. The fact that it, it, it go, don't play the, the, the... I know he's prepping it up. But the fact that literally it does... George, George Kennedy is doing a B-roll... In a, in a fucking Concorde, how that's not an airplane mover in itself is, is actually ridiculous. But it's the fact that this, this is close. yeah, but it's not even none of none is seventy nine in hindsight, yes. But in, in 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 context of watching the film as it is, it's not even played as a joke either. So it's interesting for so there is definitely re- diminishing returns with this franchise. That being said. I do feel ultimately that the second film is too close to the first, and the third one is a, is is probably a two push out. But I quite like that a franchise of that is is trying to evolve, perhaps not in the right ways of where it should do, but is at least trying to do something different with it. And also, there's it's a response from Poseidon Adventure. I mean, we and Jakob spoke about this as well, and I think his reviews bang on about it. It's interesting how that is a response to everything. Um, and none of these films in itself actually have, have, have stand on its own two feet of actually saying something, bar airport in a weird way, which says nothing. So diminishing returns. Well, I, I've got I've got more actuality in my notes. Don't worry, that's not just it. But um, this was a, these were difficult watches because the, the stuff we've done on this podcast before, even stuff I've not liked, like I don't like Death Proof. Like we've done a few more where I've, like. I've I've really really not I'm liked. Not gonna bite. No, no, don't. No, that's fine. Some some Exorcist stuff we've done where I've like this this is terrible. But there's always been a really interesting conversation to have and, and a really interesting background with it. I don't find these films enjoyable whatsoever in the terms of getting anything out of them. I find them they're not even bubblegum type of of of, of taste where it just goes after five minutes. This is like eating shards of glass. At times, where I'm just, I, I just think to myself, I can understand the economic aspect of these films being released and you trying to get a bit of money out of them, but they just, the echo sentiments to me of of of, of what's happening now, weirdly in a strange way, is that I, I just get the impression that producers and executives have absolutely no idea what audiences want, and it's, I, I find it quite patronising. Have they ever? Yeah, I mean, if, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. To be fair, yeah, if if, if they ever have, but. To that, de- to, to that degree, I'm watching these and I'm thinking, you know, the opportun- opportunity to just do something quite interesting here, at least the attempt to do it with the, with the third film, I think that's more gracious and, and failing doing so than just making tripe, like just absolute fucking shite. So, again, diminishing returns. It'd be interesting to talk about them for the most part. I don't know how much I can talk about 79 because I think it's, it's generally vile. But there is something quite warming with the second film, interesting with gender dynamics, and I think the third one with how it how it how it how it crafts at least set piece is quite interesting. Um, the question is, 
are any of them better than the first one? Yes. And I think mm-hmm. yes. I think, <laughs> yes. I'd say I, I would say I think the second one is better made. I'd say the third one mm. is more enjoyable. But I, I, I would I would rather Oh god, I don't want to, I can't say that. I can't say that. I don't know what I'd do if someone said watch seventy nine or the original one. I don't know. I honestly I'd have to I'd have to I'd have to take the third option. It's that bad. I truly think those films are that bad. For different reasons, but I'll leave it over mm-hmm. to one of you two to, to rant. Cool. Jakob? I don't even know how to structure this because you asked me to review three films at once. So this I know. Be, it's, uh, I didn't do weird. a bad job of it. I rambled, <laughs> and, yeah. but I didn't, I didn't get the fucking Lord uh, of the Rings music. Yeah, so come on. What you made of? Yeah, come on. a nice little chronological ramble. Yeah, good. Yeah, so I don't know. You can't like structure it. Because I keep, I keep the Lord of the Rings music for, for these moments when you go and say like, well, you know, like you're talking about airport. And actually, you know, when you think about George Kennedy, I had a friend once whose name was Kennedy. And this is when you kind of just say, okay, he's veering off track. Okay. I swear, <laughs> this is what I keep it for. I swear to God. If I don't and get that, if I don't get that fucking soundboard on my computer for my fucking birthday mum because it's happening we're doing La- we're doing Lars von Trier or something I'm going to make the fucking worst filmmaker if I don't get access to that I'll be fucking real well, pissed okay. I don't want I don't want to burst your bubble Jack but we have the whole year planned already <laughs> well I'm sorry but my fucking <laughs> what, birthday what's your month birthday month March we've already spoke about this off air as well I see well, yeah 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 but yeah and what we're doing what are we doing in March spring clinging <laughs> spring yeah. clinging. Fucking Skyjack three or something. I fuck knows. No, uh, it's gonna be some Tony Scott. Oh, spoiler for March. Well, I'll have that. That's not too bad. That's not bad. See, you can you can have that. Is this okay? Is this okay? Anyway, <laughs> Airport seventy five. Yeah, <laughs> how how am I gonna structure this? Okay, out of the four films, like I bought the box set for this. Look, I splurged twenty one ninety nine on this. And uh, the the second one is the second one for me is the worth the money actually, because like the first the first airport is just barely watchable. This the fourth one is just like oi. Uh, the third one I kind of liked, but the the fourth the, the the second one is actually I think where the, I think they got it, and it, and it, the proof is in the fact that actually they went out, rented a fucking plane, and went on location, shot it f- flying. That's it. That's all you need to do. Get a set piece in where you have a, an actual helicopter, an actual plane flying right over the mountains and do stuff with this, with this footage. And then on top of everything, forget all the micro dramas, even though there are micro dramas in there. And then the minute this movie scales down to just Karen Black in the cockpit, and immediately you have suspense, you have stakes, you have action, and you have some kind of urgency in there. And I, I like this. This movie feels like for for a change. It almost feels like a seventies film. Almost, <laughs> yeah, nearly. <laughs> but there are moments, and then I do have a take that that you know, like uh, clearly, Jack, that you don't read my shit, flashonfilm.com, because I I did I did actually just put this into words. Actually, I wrote a little piece called I did, I actually, Airport nineteen seventy five. These magnificent Charlton's and their flying studios. I retweeted okay. it and liked it today, but I didn't read it purposely, knowing that you were going to say something. I wanted to save it for this. I wanted an, an so, authentic response to whatever this is going to be. Right. So I'm going to get to this now. This is going to Go take for a it. while, for uh, as it turns out, if I have to review all the all the other two. But then I'll just say this: I'm watching this, and the added benefit of watching this, I was just like. 
Like there are these little elements in here that just like start getting these flags up in my head. I'm just like, is this Gloria Swanson? Is this lady? This is this Sunset Boulevard lady? <laughs> okay, and it's just is that Linda Blair? Okay, <laughs> that's interesting. Why is she wearing a pajama? Okay, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, just like there's this guy watching American Graffiti. <laughs> it's just my nose. Is this my American Graffiti? And and he's just like the most obnoxious movie patron, just like. Be careful, I'm in this scene. What did you think about my scene? You know? And I'm just thinking to myself, okay. There's there's a reading here. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit on this and then and I and I get it. The jumbo jet is a studio. It's universal, baby. And do you know what it gets hit by? New fucking Hollywood. That's it. They don't know what to do. What, what the hell's happening? The flight's on autopilot. Who's flying the plane? Karen Black. Oscar nominee for what? Five easy pieces. Bob Rafelson's new Hollywood film has to steer, steer the plane into, in, into some kind of leveled flight. And she still can't land it, by the way. Who do I have, do they, do they have to send to kind of just clear the air and make sure that everyone's safe? Charlton fucking Heston. The 60s guy. It's brilliant for me. This is this move, this whole movie, and and this whole movie is a studio. Like you have Reagan from The Exorcist on the plane. You have Gloria Swanson on the plane. You have like stars and like this, this sound is of music on the plane. <laughs> yes, you have all these people on the plane being what steered to some kind of safety by Karen Black from Five Easy Pieces, and then saved by Ben Hur. <laughs> It's the best. I'm like, okay, got it. And also, how they do this is just and oh, ex- exactly smack in the middle of the 70s. For me, this is also a metaphor of just like, okay, well, yeah, we have to get all these sort of newcomers, all these Coppolas, all these like, all these Schraders and all these Scorseses. Let them make their movies as we and just stall and level the flight as we figure out how to monetize the new Hollywood. How do we make this happen? We're a big studio. We have no idea how to change. We don't. We don't we do change. All we do is spectacle, sandal epics, you know, sword and sandals, you know, and war dramas, whatever, you know. And what do they do? They they get a guy from the sixties to save the day. And after that, by the way, Charlton Heston didn't have a real major role. After that, by the way, this, this makes total sense to me. <laughs> he almost retired after this. He's just like I'm done, right? And what happens in 1975? Later on, Jaws. The blockbuster baby, like they survived New Hollywood and, and then just internalized all these guys and they became just these blockbuster machines. It's fantastic. This whole, <laughs> I was just like, it makes no sense to anybody but me. And I'm pretty sure like Jack's now just like wiping his ass because he just shot his pants <laughs> because he just thinks like, I'm, it's probably, I'm probably happy the camera's not on because he's probably rolled his eyes all the, all the way to, to the back of his skull. Just I'll, like, fucking hell, Jacob. I'll tell you something, right? But yeah, this is. I don't Great. know what four stars. <laughs> I don't know what I hate more, the the, the the fact that you're actually probably right, or that actually that, that that theory works really quite well. I'll leave. I'm telling it there. you, I, this, I'm not. I didn't put it there. This is it. It's in the movie. <laughs> I, I think this is your metaphor of metaphors. Yeah, this is a home run, Jakob. You know, take it, enjoy your moment. This is great. I'm just watching this. I'm like, oh, I thought I had it the minute when I saw John Travolta and Broken Arrow standing in front of a in front of a, a nuclear weapon that looked like his, like an extension of his penis. And it's like, this is the one. This is the one to take home. You know, a year and a half later, you nail it. Yeah. <laughs> 
no, I was so happy with this because it, it's like, okay, I get it. This movie works, and I'm pretty sure, like, they did. They didn't even have a clue. This is a beautiful accident that they somehow encapsulated the idea of the anxiety of not knowing how to deal with with being struck by a terrible disease which is just these filmmakers coming out of nowhere of their biker shit you know well further to that too the industry was in a recession <laughs> yeah right <laughs> so the studios were struggling so yeah and that a, too they yeah, were losing altitude losing altitude bleeding money they don't know what to do and then who do they can who they can trust they can trust karen black only in in some kind of limited fashion because she doesn't know how to do this correctly she hasn't done this before she's she's a newbie you know she's like a francis ford coppola he, he can't trust him you know <laughs> He's, he delivers i mean it actually helps then you're know, like all these friedkins and all these coppolas they actually made money at the box of with the shit that they no one ever believed that would make money because they had to fight to get their movies made and all of a sudden just look <laughs> makes money oh wow we didn't know actually you know, these people actually may actually know something about making movies hmm, maybe we should Maybe we should actually just trust them with like 20 million, you know? Like put them on a boat and just build them a mechanical shark, you know? Shit like this. And then it's like, oh, yeah. And just like, you know, like this thing, like when they, when, when they insisted we just release this whole thing about these, about these like mafiosos, like in more move, in more cinemas than just one in New York and one in LA, see what happens. All of a sudden, like it makes 120 million. We're just, wow, can you do that? How about we just release it everywhere? Everything everywhere all at once. What happens then? And just break the system. <laughs> so, but they had to just figure this out. Like, cause like companies think slow. They make these decisions after periods of consideration because they have massive risks to manage. It's like a Boeing 747, right? Like you can't really just make a massive, I don't know, maneuver because it's going to stall and fall out of the sky. That's kind of the whole thesis of my film, of my, of my, of my little piece, right? But then, yeah, so I watched this with like all these thoughts racing through my head while Karen Black is just piloting this plane with a massive gash in the cockpit while Charlton Heston calls her baby, you know? <laughs> and then George Kennedy's just, all, for the most part, consumed this cigar, you know? And I'm just having fun with this film. So that's not April 1975. The 77, I was just realized. And by the way, just all these films, apart from maybe the 77, are essentially, I, I think the studio gimmick was what's the newest plane that they've released so we can actually go and market? Because 707 was was new in the early 70s or late 60s. That was the big thing. Oh, you know, take the fl- transatlantic Atlantic flight and Helen Hayes goes, I can hide in the toilet, whatever, you know? In in the 75, there was the 747 was a very new fl- uh, plane, right? That was just the, the, the crown jewel of american engineering you know and 1977 more of the same like we ran out of ideas put it underwater just forget it's a plane let's just do poseidon adventure because <laughs> again like they run out of ideas so quickly so how many things can we do on in the, on the plane not many we can try and put a poltergeist in there that's horror at the, at the 37 000 feet and it's dog shit so it clearly doesn't work we, they still hadn't had no idea they could put snakes in there which would have been way better yeah it's um, 20 years away Exactly. That's <laughs> how long it takes to put snakes on the plane. Um, and by 79, oh, we have another plane. Let's do the Concorde. Or maybe they tried to do the Concorde for the third one, but they, but the French were like, no, 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 you can't have the rights to you know, whatever. You know, you can't have the rights to the Concorde because it's a precious our little crown jewel in a, you know, a French engineering. In a, uh, yeah, I don't know. 
So that's kind of what I see these as marketing ploys. And they clearly ran out of ideas to the point that, you know, like George Kelly has to open a, open a window in a, in a supersonic flight and shoot flares at a rocket because the whole gimmick of the fourth one, they're being chased by a rocket. We'll get there. No okay, idea. Yeah. It's like the movie is so stupid that it makes Jaws the Revenge look smart. Like at some point, I was just put, thinking to myself, if this plane starts roaring at the end, I'm going to fucking, I'm going to quit. <laughs> <laughs> and I love Jaws the Revenge for how stupid it is. But this one's stupid, but not funny. It's boring. So that's kind of my review of all three. 75, great. 73, 77. Jack Lemon's awesome and it's all underwater so he forgets on a plane and Christopher Lee just like <laughs> dies on, dies almost <laughs> on screen. He's <laughs> just like, I'll help you. And he just gets smacked by the door or something that is just like, he's gone. <laughs> it's the best. Uh, but you know, like, but actually in the 77, I really like the final set piece. It's really, good. again, same principle. Put stuff in on a boat, put people in water and then just have them do shit. <laughs> <laughs> not pretend that they're on like on a soundstage. So that's kind of my rambling rant um, about all three at once. It made, made absolutely no sense. So over to you. Oh, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Fantastic, guys. Okay, so I, I'm going to throw this out there. I didn't really know what we were getting into when we were talking about doing uh, these air disaster films. I thought, okay, well, we've got a theme, so let's go with it. But it's turned into sort of a fun month. Honestly, talking about all these films, I've on on the most side. Most of which are not great. <laughs> most of which aren't very good. But on the side, uh, I've watched a number of other disaster films. So I watched the Poseidon Adventure and Beyond the Poseidon Adventure. Um, what else did I, I see? City on Fire. Have you seen City on Fire? No, that's on my list. So like I've with I've, uh, Barry Newman, Henry Fonda. Mm-hmm. I like, yeah. That one's actually really good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> And I like the Poseidon Adventure. And there are people I, really on fire in there. Like there's some I, shit that happens in there. I was just like, wow. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> all these films, there's, they're cut from the same cloth, but at, at the same time, there's sort of limitations. And, you know, we've had these conversations, and it just it seems that with Airport, there was this idea. And now since Airport, these other films are trying to tweak the disaster film to something that works it's like deep down people knew even though audiences liked it and it had the academy award nominations and it had all kinds of buzz that original airport it's as if people knew it's not quite right it doesn't quite work and it seems that in the films that became big hits after uh they were tweaking the airport formula so a a film like earthquake what that gets right is it, it produces this uh you know ongoing tragedy that creates this tension straight through and even and it sort of downplays the subplots so you know these films are are making these choices i think to fix the problems that existed with airport so and i think airport 75 does just that i think it's mostly a fun little film um you know it's got problems and it's there's a lot of stuff you still have to sift through which is silly and you know, like we've got, we have a nun singing for why do we have a nun singing? I don't quite get it except. And then Linda Blair's character who does nothing. There's all these little tangential nonsense things. And I'm going to give Jacob some credit because now with his take that, you know, 
what does the studio know how to do? Well, we had fun with the exorcist and we had this little girl in a put bed. In <laughs> so we'll put her in a bed in an airplane. And, you know, the singing nun thing was really popular. Robert Wise's movie in 1965. So we might as well put a singing nun in here. So let's take the things that we know how to do. So this take has added some uh, joy to my, my <laughs> personal take on airport 75. Um, but basically it's, it, pro- it provides tension in a way that is, it's not distracted by the subplots. You still have all these quirky little characters and, you know, people doing their own thing. And it's still, you know, a grazing area for old Hollywood stars to give them work, which seems to be part of the template. And that's, that's all fine. Um, but it's not a bunch of cumbersome subplots. Airport 75 has an idea of setting up the tragedy, then dealing with the tragedy. Airport didn't even really get that because it's got, oh, well, we, we got all this shoveling to do on on lane 29, runway 29. And then we've we've got this guy who wants insurance and he has a, has a bomb. And that's actually a very small part of it. And we've got this stowaway. It's all over the place and it's storytelling and nothing comes together. So I find that these films are trying to remedy that. That to me is what Airport 75 is. Airport 77 as well. And it's probably, I'm like you, Jack, this is the one that I have the most fun with. I think it sets things into motion and it, it, it just sort of goes with, with its own flow and it's, it's on this steady path of suspense and the fact that it becomes submerged to me, yes, it's Poseidon Adventure, Jaws, The Deep, all these films which are popular and have to do with underwater stuff. I think Airport <laughs> 77. wishes it was seven ni- Airport 77. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's true, but uh, The Deep does have some good underwater photography and that's something I see that uh, some hey, films are doing a bit. Blu-ray. Yes, God love you. <laughs> you do. Uh, so, like, I think I think the era and the things that are emerging as popular, you can see the producers are cherry picking these things and saying, "Oh, underwater photography. Oh, popularity of Jaws. Uh, underwater disaster works as good, you know, in Poseidon Adventure. So why don't we somehow make our, our airport into that? There's just a lack of originality." Um, and again, like all those names that were involved with the behind the scenes stuff on this that I read earlier, I don't know these directors, like they're, they're company men. As I said, one of them, you know, directed several episodes of the Colgate Comedy Hour. They are company guys and actually telling a story and sort of zeroing in on suspense. It's not necessarily their forte at all. And that's, that's what we get. And we've got this weird pattern, this template that includes these massive casts, which has to do with, you know, appealing to the nostalgia, you know, this nostalgia factor for an older audience, like the, the 35 and older uh, folks in the audiences of the, the 70s, people who can remember Jimmy Short when he was back in the rear window days. So these types of actors end up in these films. Himself. I can't. I, I, well, I, I, I like Jimmy Short. No, no question. So, <laughs> so anyway, it's I'm it just, come. <laughs> I, I find that just the template is so weird. But one thing that Poseidon Adventure, Earthquake, Airport 75, 77, they've all improved over Airport is they have not given every little character their own plot of equal value, you know, so all these quirky little characters are there. So you've got Jimmy Stewart, you got Joseph Cotton. There's another 
uh, golden era star that I always liked a lot of his work. Um, Olivia de Havilland is in there. Why are these people in here? It's, it's to give them, you know, something to do. And these were the stars of old. So let's, let's give them an easy job and it'll be sort of fun, a fun day out for them and they can feel useful and contribute to a, to a film. So anyway, so and then, help your local pensioner day. <laughs> I, that is sort of what it is. <laughs> it because it's all ridiculously easy work, right? Like Gl- Gloria Swanson. You're well, doing I'll well, t- Nana. You're doing well. <laughs> Gloria Swanson. Well, I'll do it, but I'd like to write my own dialogue. See, sure you can. of course, sure you can. of course you can. You know, I want to wear my own costume. Of course you can, Gloria. Whatever. You- I want to slouch in the airport, in the air, in the in my seat, in the in the plane. I, I don't want to sit up straight. Of course, Gloria, you direct yourself. I don't care. <laughs> it just this this is the feel of these these casts, and it's so distracting to watch. But at the same time, where am I? Airport seventy seven. Uh, <laughs> it sort of works. Yep. <laughs> it sort of works here because the you know the oldsters are given something to do, um, but at least the filmmakers are sort of on a path. I complained about, um, you know, like with airport, there's lots of, you know, these fleshy ideas, but there's no skeleton for everything to hang on that you can sort of rely on that uh, sort of is, is sort of our through piece here. Now this, I've got a through piece. We've got to save people. I know what we're doing with this film. We've got to save people. We've got to get people out of this submerged plane. Makes sense. So, and then you got spectacle and some tension along the way. It's silly, uh, but you know, it's sort of, it's forward moving. And I, I like that. And the Concord, I'll just sort of agree with both you guys. It's so <laughs> silly. It is, it's just, it's beyond Jaws four is a really good take. It is just beyond comprehensible how silly and stupid <laughs> airport is. And, uh, it is hard to get behind because it's, it's quite boring, you know, for a good, good chunk of it. You know, like there's like, I'm sort of amused at how silly some of the ideas are like, you know, a heat-seeking uh, missile going after a Concorde. And, it has uh, a 30-degree cone. We can <laughs> evade it. And all, all the passengers are just like, fuck it. Like, flipping in circles. And, and Jimmy Walker, that, I'll play a saxophone. In, was it that scene in Flight where, you know, like Denzel goes like, I'm going to flip it upside down and this steward is just like gets mangled. <laughs> just like, this is what should have happened. <laughs> just like George Kennedy executes a maneuver and the whole plane is just covered in just, just ground beef. <laughs> it's uh, just- yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's my take on things. In terms of getting this uh, started, we're about an hour in, so we might as well actually start a conversation. Um, where do you think the studios are at the time? Because what, what I see is, and we've all alluded to it, it's just a very commercial enterprise and how do we sort of replicate our success? Uh, I, I think that Hollywood in the time, this is me talking, is struggling to sequelize things because they haven't really been doing it for, for long and they're trying to figure it out here. How do you see the business model of these films or just, just where does 19, let's 75, where does this fit in with uh, the whole disaster, disaster genre, making sequels, repetition? Let's sort of flesh well, out got, this conversation uh, I, a bit I, more. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind going to start here because this is the one, the biggest thing I, I, I've actually wanted to talk about in this podcast. Mm-hmm. We mentioned quite a lot on Airport about the director. 
Now, I think it, it, for, for most people, they'd be thinking, like, is it is it really that apparent? But with George Seaton, we all mentioned about him being quite a screenwriter, um, quite, quite clearly a, a prominent screenwriter. And I think directing comes second. And I think when you watch that film, it becomes wholly evident that the, the, the former, the screenwriter, comes full force rather than the director. I was slightly interested to see who was going to helm these these three because... I wanted to see if they would change in the in, in the context of the cultural times and with, with depending on if Universal understood about trying to get contemporary directors up. And um, I, I, I sort of feel like it's hit and miss, but I, I do think that it actually says more about not necessarily, uni- well, maybe Universal, but more so the producers in that when you look at 75, you have Jack Smite, who we've mentioned already, but Jack Smite did Harper with Paul Newman, I think, in '66. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you, you look at you look at that, and that's quite a hit, trendy type of character that Paul Newman's trying to play. I I, I would recommend going to the Drowning Pub. I'll get told off if I go on. But then he also did um, the Illustrated Man in '69. He did, you know, there's quite a few little p- bits and pieces here. No way to treat a lady in 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 '68 as well. Is the Illustrated Man um, an adaptation of Ray Ray Bradbury? Yeah, it is. Okay, never mind. I, I think there's there's a there's an idea of someone trying to be commercial by also also being some uh, trying to create stuff that's not necessarily out there, but alternate. It's a little bit hip, a little bit, but you know that 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 degree of like the late sixties, not hippie, but a little bit hip and a little bit interesting. We're gonna do something a little bit different to to what we're gonna do, but ultimately, it's sort of the same thing, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And I do I do think that seventy five examined literally does evoke that very same sentiment is that it thinks it's doing something quite interesting it thinks it's doing something a little bit and i think particularly with its gender dynamics i think it's, it's interesting but when you take that apart and you actually look at it it's not saying or doing anything principally different then you get to 77 and i think it, they make the exact same not mistake, but they make the exact same issue in that they hire Jerry Jameson, or Jameson, sorry, um, and they, they get a director who's probably more so up and coming at that point, but a few years later, he'd done The Deadly Tower with Kurt Russell, which is about a school shooting, in, I think on a university uh, campus. He'd also done, uh, is it, yeah, well, I would think he would have done that just yet, the Superdrome, but He'd also made, you know, stuff like the Bat People. So they're looking at trying to pick point directors who were essentially up and coming at that time, but they don't go for directors like the Coppolas, like the Freakins. They don't touch mm-hmm. any of that because they need to retain creative control. They want commercial creative control, so they won't give it to auteurs at the time, later developers such. They want to give it to people they can mould. While Airport, for me, was taking a director who was from that realm of 60s filmmaking where he was sort of like a... What's the term for it? Where someone, a company man, yeah? I feel the... Co- a, st- a studio hand. Yes, yeah, so yeah, a company man, a studio hand. I feel like what George Seaton was on Airport with 75 and 77, they actually caused that to those directors... They caused them. They, they they built these people into the company men, which I think is quite interesting, considering that the actual two topics, the ones we're talking about, 
are the most interesting. When you get to 79, I think you get to a point where they, they, they probably don't have any idea what they're actually doing at that point. Maybe that's a conscious effort. Maybe that if they're going to pick a handful of directors, they don't want to pay a massive signing on bonus. They don't want to pay percentage cost to, to the likes of big big 60s directors like, you know, Billy Wilder's like that, just for an example. Could you imagine Billy Wilder doing the Concord dot 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 airport nineteen seventy nine? Well, we, we, we can only hope. But I, but I, I, I feel like they they went for a cheaper I think alternate. He was dead then, no? Probably. <laughs> this this franchise is dead on arrival anyway. But then you, it's funny because when you get to uh, is it Jer- Jerry Jameson? He then makes a film. Jenna Jameson is a by the way she's a porn actress. Yeah, she's just died. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. that was Jerry Jameson, right? That's what I said. <laughs> How I dare said, you? I thought, said, I thought you said Jenna Jameson. I'm no. just like, oh, what a nice and nice Freudian slip. You disgusting. I don't know where your mind's I'm been in the gutter. I'm talking about airport. How dare you? Anyway, David La- uh, David Lowell Rich. We'll go- yeah, there we go. It's back. But Jerry J- J- Jameson is an interesting one. because <laughs> did it again. No, I said Jerry. I said Jerry both times. Come. I said Jerry both times. I did. No. Listen back to it. Listen back. I I said, for the I record, said, Jenna Jameson did not die. Which is the one that just died? <laughs> more, more likely which one, the which one of your favorite porn actresses <laughs> just died? Anyway, Jerry Jameson. With, 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 with Jerry Jameson. Oh god, here we go. It's, it, I just think it's interesting that they they get they touch on these two topics with seventy seven aquatic airplane, and then you get then he does raise the Titanic. Also a few known years. as a submarine, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Aquatic <laughs> then, airplane. Yeah. Then, course, yeah, that's quite funny actually. Fair play, yeah. But then you then you then he makes rise of the uh, raise the Titanic a few years later, and then mm-hmm. with um with with what's his first David Lowell Rich. Would then go and make, uh, well, he did make that that horror at thirty-seven thousand feet at that point, and probably like his career sort of died at that. Well, after that, relatively. Like you're missing out if you haven't seen this, by the way, the horror of thirty-seven thousand feet. It's just interesting that if you, I, the point I'm trying to make is that there isn't sort of this connection between a a, a, a production company understanding an audience and then putting a middle person there, um, or a director or a writer. To actually grasp at these themes, they seem to get at the one point young, upcoming, molded directors, but then break them down and build them into the exact thing that George Seaton became known as, which I think is it's so interesting considering that these franchises that they had again that's why I come back to the, they should they should have had an opportunity to be so fresh, so interesting, and and at least at least sort of the almost prototypes of either going on to do something eerily similar. Or going back and have done something beforehand. I don't know. I, I look. I look at this in a, in, a, in a bigger picture of a studio. Really, a not knowing what they had on on the cards, and b. It's probably a product of its time in a, in a point of the the seventies, like Jacob's mentioned. We mentioned this on the, the the first podcast. It's a very changing landscape. The blo- the box office when this is released mm-hmm. a year later, it it, it 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 implodes to something far bigger than these people knew, and I think. There's learning. There's learning bits here, but this to me is Universal making the Psycho sequels. This is this is Universal understanding very quickly that we have the highbrow nature and we can make the B the B pictures. And I've been watching a lot of DTV recently, 
and 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 some stuff has really really aged quite well. But when you look at back at a DTV, if it hasn't got someone behind the camera who has who has a, f- a form of like an artistic vision or is allowed to be able to accomplish it, they form into this character of just worthlessness to me. And I, f- I do feel like this progressively gets to that point where what an opportunity to actually inject at least something interesting. And each time I get to it, there's just that one component for me that that's missing. I hope I answered it for you, but I think it's just partly the 70s is a very difficult era because there's a lot of people out there, a lot of filmmakers getting involved in projects that they don't want to do the mainstream studio venture. But in the same token, they opt to choose the cheapest option imaginable on every every decision, which again creates this horrible scenario and ingredients of just having these dull features. Yeah, where I, where I think Jacob's uh, recent essay and his metaphor really has a touch of brilliance is the fact that, and I don't mean to inflate anyone's ego, but it really is a good metaphor, is the studio system is a come. big, it's a big corporation <laughs> and it's a big, slow moving vessel. So I think they don't know how to make change. And it's something that we talked about a year ago this time because we were talking about sequels to Oscar-winning films. And we talked about... <laughs> Didn't we? February a little... is a very lean month when it comes to quality <laughs> movies, isn't it? <laughs> right. So we really have to dive into what, what are we going to learn about? We're going to learn about disaster film templates. We're going to learn about the business models of studios. We're really <laughs> jumping into things that have nothing to do with the quality of the movie. A nice tall glass of the binges <laughs> from the dumpster of cinema. <laughs> and analyze it to death. But last year we talked about They Call Me Mr. Tibbs, and we're saying the same types of things about um, trying to create a movie that that reflects the fact that the studios don't really know how to repackage the magic. Something comes out that's really fantastic once, you know, why does this work? So they're having a really difficult time packaging the Exorcist, packaging Jaws, packaging all these things that New Hollywood is bringing us. The road movie that's coming from all those biker films and and um, Easy Rider and all this stuff. The, the studio's like, well, how, do, how the hell do we do that? But the disaster film is in-house. So they can call upon the, the folks that are, you know, working down you know, down the street in the in the in the studio. They're working on a back lot somewhere. They have a bunch of experience doing westerns and doing hey, well job. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's where this I think is easy. And just to to your uh, point, Jack, on how they're trying to mold people, I think totally that's the culture. We get these people in, their uh, assistant directors on stuff. They figure out how the studio works, and then they make studio films. Then they're in the system. They're in the they're in the stable, so they can be called upon to do a TV movie, or they can be called upon to do uh, direct episodes of Hawaii Five O because the whoever created the series is the genius and the name above the title, not the director. So this is a, a sort of a not not entirely a new thing because there were always uh, the auteurs out there. But but there were a lot of films that were made by just you know the stable of talent around them, and I think that's what what this is all about. In the same fashion that the studio had no idea how to do in the heat of the night a second time. Yeah. I mean, I think there are a few things in here that I'm just thinking about. Like, first of all, like the disaster film as a genre, 
uh, agreed as, as in like, yeah, they know how to do this. It's exactly what we're talking about, right? So for me, the, the disaster film genre for the entirety of the decade, and if you think about the progression of this decade, there will be an onset, an apex, and a trail. Like, these movies then happen all the way into the 80s, like, but no one gives a shit. Even though some of the, some of the better ones are actually, are, like, you can actually find them towards the latter half, even though, like, no one cares anymore because there are, there's Star Wars out there, you know? Like, <laughs> so why would you, right? In 1979, when Cities on, City on Fire is, is out, for instance, which has real fires, stunts that you couldn't believe that they let them happen, it's <laughs> just people. Is this guy falling into a in, into a burning pit? Yes, he is. You know, and then he just emerges all on fire in this in this sort of fire suit, and someone puts him out, and ridiculous, right? And it's just all happening on location. Real shit's happening all across. Like it's just a beautiful seventies stuff, but no one cares because there's alien out there. There's um, there's apocalypse now. There's there's Kramerverse. Like cinemas elsewhere at this point, right? Right. And I'll because I'll say like in seventy five. Right? Sorry, just to add to this, I think 1970 to 74, it's a very small window here where that's the holding pen, right? That is, yeah, that's the, that's the <laughs> rise of this. And then we get to yeah. 74. 74 be- is the apex, right? The towering yeah. inferno wins at the box office. Then airport 75 is right there and earthquakes right, right there with it. I think in, yeah. to- in the top 10, all th- three out of the seven, uh, yeah. three out of 10 are, are top scoring sort of um, disaster films right now. I'm thinking, okay, First of all, I totally agree. As in, like, they it's a holding pen, and then what they do is again, like, they don't know how to monetize certain things. They don't even know how to franchise things. Like, it's it begins and ends even with the titling sequences. How do we title this? Do we do one, two, three, and four? Do we go by years? It doesn't have to be the year of the film's release. We don't know. Like, we don't know how to. Doesn't ellip- ellipses belong in a title? Who knows? You know. Just it it makes no sense. Like it shows you they have no idea how to do these things. They don't know what makes this franchise a franchise. One thing that they do, I think, correctly to actually distinguish themselves from the original Airport 1970 is the fact that you're know, like, well, apart from the fact that the title means nothing, but the fact the fa- the very thing the very fact of ditching the airport drama makes these movies better already. Because I would even say like the fourth one's better than the first one by by because because it's just shorter by the by the forty minutes of micro dramas in the airport is just non-existent in there. There are micro dramas elsewhere that are just stupid, but you know at least the airport doesn't doesn't belong in there. So I don't know. But then uh, for me this is kind of like a look. They don't know how to franchise this, and what but what they don't want to do is they want to they don't they don't know how to parse. The new Hollywood. They don't know how to parse what people like. They only know what people should like because they've they've been used to telling people what they should watch and then people clapped, right? And now kids are protesting on protesting on the street because they don't want don't, don't want to go to Vietnam. There are race riots everywhere in the South. There is just shit's happening all over the shop and they don't know how, and, and they don't know that people want reality, right? So this is their closest approximation this whole genre so for me this is almost a holding pen because uh well and they still use for for these films the as you said like these these hired hands to do this because they they know how to take direction they will they will execute on schedule and under budget and that's all that all this matters like for them this is that it's not about um telling great stories it's about making money and all they care about is 
if we spend 15 million, if we make 65, great, let's make another one. And that's, I think, where you can actually see the, the pattern. I'm not sure if this pattern emerges here because there have been sequels before, but it's, I want to say, epitomizing here that the idea of franchising that you then see in the, in the 80s is kind of already shown in, in here. Oh, we know how to do more of the same, which is what you just said. We don't know how to change direction. We don't know how to adapt to circumstances that change. And you can see this across franchises in the 80s where you have, like if you examine like the Nightmare on Elm Street or Halloween or um, all the big horror franchises that made a lot of money initially, that you see that the that you know like the if you if you trail box office uh, against the quality or critical reception or even audience reception, you can see that they trail off almost like a there's like there's almost like a one movie difference because people will still go and see you know people films that are shit and they, they are poor received they still make money and then they make another one before mm. they take a pause because then they will it there's this inertia built into this and in here the iner- and the bigger the budget the bigger the inertia and the bigger the studio the 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 bigger the sort of the risk uh, mm-hmm. or the the risk averseness to making these these changes right because they have to go and say like whoa we have to just take time to evaluate our options and by the time they do so they realize that all, all these spielbergs and all these coppolas and all these lucases they actually have come with their projects and they want to come through and they proved themselves with like the duo um, or that was a hit in Europe and then became some, I, I don't know, a modest critical success, I think, Sugarland Express. And all of a sudden, like, let's give these people money and see what happens. And, and they realize, oh, we can do more of this because this is close to what we know. We can just give, give these people money and make spectacles and it's fine. Right. So and I think know- that's kind of where we are. So it's like three things are almost kind of just happening at the same time. Yeah. So I I think, too, an airport was such a success, it made sense for others to try to emulate it. And the Towering Inferno and the Poseidon Adventure, what they got right was getting getting rid of all the subplots that you're spending so much time with and making a threat that lives throughout the whole thing. So it's it's, Towering Inferno has plenty of these, right? No, it it has plenty. It is kind of like airport. It's also two and a half hours or something it like i watched it last year it seems to me it was crazy long it's oj simpson as a security guy (laughs) and and fred astaire uh but i think that that what it gets right is that because let's look at airport if that started this how do you recreate airport because it had a guy with a bomb that blows up with 15 minutes left and then there's an awkward landing so you have a hundred minutes of nonsense and subplots and so the next the next mini wave of the first mini wave of disaster films following airport fixes that and creates a threat that you can follow all mm-hmm. the way through and has suspense attached to it. So films like earthquake are, work quite a bit better and the Poseidon adventure works quite a bit better and airport 75 work quite a bit, works quite a bit better. So they're sort of just figuring out the disaster genre and then 74 uh, comes and you have three, three successful, really successful disaster films there. But then what happens in, 75, 76, 77, Jaws, Rocky, and Star Wars. And these films, I think like you say, Jakob, they turn heads, just not just because they made money, but I think studios are saying, I know how to package this. Avildsen, Spielberg, and Lucas. Can three, I, totally. Three, three of these like youngsters, right? Can I, can these add, are packageable add, because you can... Yeah, uh, yeah I'll just... No, like, so Rocky, sorry, go on. Yeah, no, just to finish my thought. Rocky, oh, 
a boxing match, we can emulate that somehow. Uh, Jaws, animal attacks, that's easier to emulate than airport was. And uh, Star Wars, you know, and that just sort of becomes the... Space fa- fantasy is coming back, baby. Space that, opera. That's the, the whole, big one. A, whole, the whole of the 80s is basically space opera coming back. That everyone back, wants right? to try to emulate. So, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Jack. To add to that as well, about the, the, about the political hemisphere of the world at that point, those three films that you mentioned are responses from a country with the fallout of a Vietnam war as well, and that they don't want to see American soil or, 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 or yeah. issues in American culture they want to be taken away. Rocky is the underdog, under, underdog story of its time. Jaws is about saving uh, the, the, the people around you from a from a, a, a well a physical but almost more so a, a, a psychological force uh, of what's in the water. And I think Star Wars is that representation of the of the, the, the white wasp salvaging itself through space and time. You know, to, to from, uh, defeating well being the rebels. That that change of pace in that the 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 U.S. not being in the empire was funny because Lucas wrote it as such um, in the opposing way of the rebels as the Vietnamese etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I think that's undoubtedly a response of audience participation of wanting to jump ship and go to those things where they're taking on adventures strangely, very much intimately and very much explosively within within the realm of of of, of the world that's being built. But I do think that airport falls into that category of the there is some form of, a, of an Americanization with it all, specifically when we get to like the, the Concord as well, is that it, it seemingly can't separate itself from, from or not necessarily separate itself, but I think it doesn't sort of consciously understand that it has something at, it, at its fingertips there to not necessarily say something political but, or social, but at least add it or, or make it viable or interesting. Because the first film did indeed do that with the the the, the subplot of the uh, the insurance, but it, it, again, it, it's like it's brought forward, but never evaluated. It's never, it's never a a, con, a, a conscious discourse. It's used as an arc. The 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 arms weapons, the 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 political under uh, conspiracy in, in in Concord seventy nine. It's like it's weirdly brought in from an interesting point of view about. Again, conspiracy. We get the Watergate issues and stuff yeah. like that. All, all the president's men. Yeah, I mean, just like copycat why? stuff. But that, that, that's my, that, yeah, that, that's my point. Mm-hmm. I don't think these films have any idea the actual impact of using those, but are doing so in response to the cultural hemisphere around it, which I think is quite a naive and b secondly sort of patronizing in a, in a sense because it's 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 formulating opinion, not necessarily opinions, but it's formulating these arcs and, and and statements having no idea what they actually say and be probably having no real need to investigate them and i think 77 is an interesting one because you talk about again terrorists going for for gold and you look at you know the you know that reminds me of the thing that, that howard hughes and the, the navy and the cia did undercover to to raise a russian nuclear submarine in a very weird place at the same time around about the same time and the they hired Howard Hughes' drilling team as a cover story to get this nuclear submarine up from the Russians and access its database and it, and its and its and its array of missiles and stuff. It's interesting that, you, that those rumors are here. Those those constructs of interesting set pieces of device from a form of reality. I mean, seventy five is 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 probably horror stories in in urban legends again, but it's probably a reality base there. They just don't know how to do it. And it goes back to that mm-hmm. dissonance between audience and creator in the sense that 
They really don't have any idea what's a working or be what's relevant at the time. So they inject forms of social discourse without without any any intrigue or interest to actually evaluate it, have a conversation about it. And then again, those those small snippets are actually probably arguably more interesting than the actual set pieces itself, which then it relies on, which have diminishing returns. And again, but it's I, I definitely feel that yeah, we're on to something about the seventies. I think that's ever so apparent. I think there's just that there's a an ego with the seventies where it evolves into watching something new. I think it's interesting what Jakob said earlier about it, but I also th- I also feel that it's that that movement of rejecting normal discourse. Like the the, big, the 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 audiences have essentially been told what to watch Disney, then we go watch mm-hmm. CBS, Walter Cronkite, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and then we f- we formulate into something quite distinctively new. And there's more to reach. There's more to gain. There's an explosion of cinema, but also there's an explosion of um, God. Did you see that car chase that they did in that film called French Connection? Like, have you have you seen um, the, like the the James Caan gets shot in The Godfather? These are. The ex- I'm so happy you're just mentioning this. Anyway, anyway, finish. Yeah, there's like there's, 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 there's there are set pieces in these films that are identifiable, but constantly relay back into the principal function of what those films are about. When you look at airport, there are these certain set pieces or these certain moments of character. But when you look at them and you look back into it about what the films, there's nothing there. They are just print that they're, they're, they're scraped from the headlines, cut out and being sent in like that one, one of those like wanted, you know, if you want your cat back, you've got to pay me a million dollars. Like, like those, like, you know, it's been cut out of a newspaper magazine with all the headlines. It feels like that. It just feels like a calling card of, someone perhaps like we'll just put there put there but essentially to not to to, to counter my argument here that plays into the b-movie aesthetic of what these films actually are so it's hard to argue against them wanting to be elevated when essentially they're just b-movie films anyway so i think we've just got to, I, I, in my own opinion i've just got to see them what they are they're not highbrow pieces of cinema they never were but again it does. It, it just goes back to the fact that there's some something here to be have so interesting to say. I just fumbled the mm-hmm. bag, but I'll, I'll let you. I'll let Jakob go. Do you know what? They, yeah. I think I agree. There are B movies, but they're not kind of the kind of B movies that you think they are. They're Bond movies. Oh, I can yeah, see that. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Do you know what? Because like nineteen 1970- B movies with A budgets is sort of the thing. <laughs> well, <laughs> the people more, making there's more them. to that. Yeah, there's more. Yeah, I'd actually, say there's I, more to that. Bec- the spy who loved me off. in '77. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, but like, do, Look, do, do, isn't that back to my point about them going for social issues? Like the, 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 they're even they're uh, even like the sorry. The, I'll be really quick. They're even dissecting uh, contemporary features themselves, taking what works, but not understanding that they're taking small Frankenstein pieces and making a monster. That's what I get from it. Sorry, mm. go on. I think, uh, like, one thing is, like, we have to, uh, I think we have to acknowledge that Airport from 1970 is a genuine accident. The fact this film's successful is an accident. No one actually saw this coming, I think. And they were all caught by unawares and, and by surprise, just like, what do we do now? This shit's made $106 million or something, right? Which is almost a billion dollars by by our standard, right? What do we do now? Because they... Clearly, some people want these biker films, but these people over here, they liked this stuff, right? How do we do this? We don't know. So here's the here's this this is where this becomes a Bond analogy. They look around and they look around and see what's popular, emulate, and then do it their way, which is 
what happens in 1979. Like, oh, the Star Wars things are popular. Let's do a Star Wars film in a Bond universe. And boom, here's the Moonraker. Like, Concord 1979 could have been a Bond film, actually, like plot-wise, by the way. Well, I I sort of likened it on your point to sort of is uh, Superman. Wasn't Superman 78? Uh, There's even yes. the reference to it. So, you know, like, but you're right. You're totally right in what you're saying. And I think and, further to that with 77, they're also grabbing some of the ideas maybe uh, that uh, Jack's talking about, about, you know, what's the social discourse? There's a whole movement in the Concord, pause, 79, where the Olympics are on the horizon. And I think the Concord, and I was even reading somewhere, this is sort of a goodwill gesture to make this film that sort of addresses the cold war in a friendly way because we're leading up to the olympics which were in moscow in 1980 if i'm not mistaken uh and so this jet is transporting transatlantic from uh uh, west to east they're taking the the russian team from the united states ultimately to moscow that's sort of the the journey and it and the Russians aren't bad guys. This is all intentional, and it's just, it's sort of a handshake of a movie. Because uh, that was during the uh, thawing, right? Like late seventies. Yes. There was some kind of a thawing of relationships between. Yes. Totally, but but two, I think something that's always present in here, be- present in here, because the studios don't know any different, is that we're always going to be waving the American flag, the myth of American power, and we see it in nineteen seventy seven with the military flex and. Look what we can do with our military. Look at these salvage operations. Look at this fun stuff that, that we've got Jimmy Stewart standing standing by watching these operations. So we, we've got this military flex at the end of 1977. And in 1979, well, it's a, it's a French plane, but, you know, really it's just an American hero who can land it. And well, there's all these little references. The Russian wrestler in here with the kid who's adorable, <laughs> but basically he's a Disney character. So it's not as if... You know, American writers are treating the Russians with this, oh, brother, brother. It, no, no. He's like a, a Disney, supporting Disney character, this this goofy Russian wrestler and his daughter. He's a good guy, I suppose, but still, it's it's very artificial. So, mm-hmm. anyway, uh, just I mean, throw that into the mix. Yeah, I mean, like, the whole series kind of works like this to me as well. Because, like, if, and if you think, like... Why Airport Seventy Five is as successful as it is? Because what they look, what they have to look around for inspiration is early Friedkin. They they figure out, oh, people like that kind of stuff when people go on location and shoot stuff that's that that's costly and out there and it's wild. So let's just go and rent a plane. Like crazy idea, guys. Crazy idea, Jerry and Bob. Let's rent a plane. But do you know it's how it's going? How much it's going to cost? I don't care how much this is going to cost. It's going to look amazing, and we're going to make 150 million dollars at the box office, and they almost did, right? So mm-hmm. that's kind of the uh, like Airport 75 doesn't look uh, doesn't have these set pieces without the French connection, right? Being mm-hmm. uh, a pool of inspiration for them. Um, and, and I would and, say uh, to the Towering Inferno and. Um, the Poseidon Adventure for sort of streamlining what a plot should look like for a disaster I think, film. I think so. I think that it was entirely fair enough. It's kind of at the same time almost, right? They were kind of de- developed concurrently. But I would, you, you could almost say that the Poseidon Adventure is probably the the big piece. And it's also an in, incredible um, piece of inspiration for the next one. Because they realize, oh, we've, we've hit it again. Let's do more of the same. So let's just take more inspiration from... 
Um, so let's just take a crew of people, just shrink it down and put it underwater because we don't have any ideas. Like we ran out of ideas. What we, we can do midair, but you can do a lot of stuff underwater. Let's just do that. Yeah, could, because, can I ask you a question you know, really quickly? Sorry. Do you know you said uh, just, just 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 when you started there, you said about um, they they went out and to shoot the actual plane. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you do you think that's a response from the audiences? Um, at the time, wanting something in- interesting, or do you think that's Universal and Airport trying to be like, "Oh, we'll do something new"? Where do you think the actual um, start point of that is? Do you think it's audience demand, or do you think that's that's a studio trying to evolve? Who do you think is sure in response? Is, I'm not sure if this is audience demand. It's maybe both, but but I think like in general, they'll probably like studio people will realize, oh, actually, if you go outside. Um, then people like this. It, I don't think they would just go and interview people on the streets. Like, did you did you enjoy this? I really like the fact when Gene Hackman really just almost almost killed a guy. Well, well no, story, I mean, know? I mean, box box office report, commercial success will indicate audience yeah. participation of certain ventures that they obviously find enjoyable. I just mean, do you think who who caters to who at this point? That's what I'm trying to get at. I think the studio caters to. Um, I mean, I think they they try to engineer these situations that they they want to engine. I think they. Well, this is me just uh, hallucinating, right? Because I don't know. I'm not an expert and I'm, I'm not a scholar. I haven't read books on this. So this is me just imagining shit based on the films I've watched, right? I think they may be trying to engineer m- events as in like, let's make this movie talked about on on the basis of something. And, and the something is, have you seen this plane? They actually felt it, it looked real because you live, now you're in a world where the exorcist exists, you know, where people would be, going around to going to work and talk about how much of an experience watching this shit was you know because it's real it's it's tactile and i think th- this would be the word they do is like let's make this tactile let's make this feel like this this is actually happening like this is not on a studio lot you know and that's part of it and yeah, then- I, I i agree i think this is coming from the, the late 60s where you've got the road movie and, and this type of thing, you know, and people are also, I think audiences are drifting away from the escapist worlds of the past, like this, the, the rom-coms that are shot strictly in sets. People can tell the difference when you walk out of a set, like even go back to uh, any one of a number of, you know, Hitchcock films and rom-com films from the 50s and they're all on set and you know it and you yeah. can feel it. And then there's something 75 tangible. is a mix, by the way, right? 75 is a mix and like all your interiors because I think studios are still working in from the perspective of we need to control, we need to control the environment and we can do that on the lot. We can do that in, you know, studio six yep. down the road. Uh, so I think that's in here, but getting out in the first airport film to a runway in St. Paul, Minnesota and actually filming some live planes, that has a very tangible impact, you know, com- compared to But you don't to have that. a model plane going into a cloud of CO2, right? No, true, but that's sort of what that's what the westerns were too, right? Is that that was the realism because they could go out and shoot, you know, you know, not shoot horses, but but they could uh, you know shoot out on the the they open shoot plains horses, and the they? vistas. <laughs> so, but, but I think this this is something that uh, feels real. It is in tune with the new Hollywood. You know, Midnight Cowboy has Dustin Hoffman running through traffic in New York, so. You start know, the to music. show some real vehicles. Start the music because I'm going to push back here. Okay. I I, I actually <laughs> I actually find that this is actually alluding more to the B movie narrative than we're we're leading on. I disagree with both of you here because I, I find that them intercutting these with 
a form of reality is what the B-movie pictures of Roger Corman used to do, is that you'd have something very small, very intimate, but you'd have cutaways to something that was was tangible in the likes of that it made the scale appear at the scope appear bigger. But in reality, there was stock footage piled from here, there, and everywhere. So I appreciate that it comes in the context of the the, the reality of them actually doing this as well. They actually shot this. This is this is them doing it, and this is them putting it into their film. But in the same token, I do just get the the the, in, in, the instinct of it. It's just evolving as a B picture would do from the sixties and the fifties. It just it literally is just evolving with the times. I still think even to that degree, this doesn't do enough. I will say that 75 does. I think there's a set piece on here with a small plane that Christopher Nolan probably um, had a hard on watching inspired his, you know, the, the Dark Knight Rises. But I still, I still think to a certain degree that it, it, probably get, it probably justifies it, actually. 75 justifies itself with that. But when you look at 77 and you look at, um, at 79 in particular, the very much is that, right, we've got this, but we need to cut away to, to, to show the scale. We need to show the scope of it. We'll cut away. We'll cut away. We'll cut away. And it's interesting that when you see the dependability of that attribute as well, in that set, I would say set, airport doesn't really need to do it because it's all basically shot in miniature and, and, and forms of, of cutting away. But it's, it's a 1970. I'll give it, give it for its time. 75, I think, completely justifies its use. You've got quite a lot of in the air. It's quite a lot atmospheric. It's quite tense. When you get to 77 and 79, it becomes abundantly clear that 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 cutaway to build the scope is far more dependable. Seventy seven gets away with it because it's a submarine, <laughs> and you guys not much. And you the, can whole re- yeah. the whole set piece, yeah, set piece. Exactly. This is an elaborate sort of like saucer esque set piece. Yeah, um, yeah, I'll, yeah. Again, I think I think it cuts down on its budget by trying to elevate it in that sense. And fair enough, it, it, you, they probably justify it there as well. But with seventy nine, there becomes the dependability of 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 the set piece in blowing the image up, and let's let's show the actual Concorde. Rest assured on the Concorde. So to me, there's definitely ultimate signs of it never evolving as a B picture. I think it just that as time slowly goes on, the natural narrative, the substance they have, is so poor and 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 understated and it, it probably extinct that they have to then rely on that B movie technique. Is what we saw in the 30s and 40s and 50s, which is considering like 79, what you're going into an era, because I think we spoke about this before in the 80s. But they don't care anymore. But at 79, they're, 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 their minds are elsewhere. Yeah, they're, they're developing, yeah. you know, they're they're already signing, they're on, not maybe not universal, but maybe they are universal, but they're already signing Ridley Scott to make Blade Runner, right? And this could be just Jenning. Wait, that's 20th Century Fox. Or maybe no, yeah, but that's that. That'll be the time where oh, you know, yeah, no, pe- I, people like sorry, Ridley yeah. Scott have just come out with Alien and took took box office by storm, and then this is where Hollywood producers are actually thinking about movies like this. Yeah, being except developed, Jennings right? Lang, Jennings Lang is still sort of stuck because the disaster film is sort of his thing. He was sort of on the ground floor, I think, with Earthquake, and then the last two films, like he writes the story for this. So this is his baby. This is the world he's living in in the disaster film. He did Roller Coaster. I was going to say, I think either right before this or after this, he goes and does Roller Coaster too, which is another, but see, they're getting progressively smaller, right? And and less Yeah, impactful. they become niche, right? They become this mm-hmm. sort of, like, yeah, the, the genre kind of folds onto itself, right? Is it, is it niche or is it, or is it niche audience or is it um, high, high profit values 
and and low, low well in high intakes and low out, out, out I mean they states. become cheaper and cheaper to make because they at some point they almost decide like as you say like let's use stock footage don't not necessarily send a helicopter to just film the Concorde from outside because it's going to cost a fortune mm-hmm. let's use stock footage that it's going to get cheaper let's just get on the inside and get on the on the tarmac to fill to film it as it just wheels around and whatever and it's going to be cheap enough we can afford this because it's kind of like sequels to the planet of the apes like they get like audiences lose interest but this is still like the whole series carries with inertia because people have developed these scripts and they've made money so they there is reasonable incentive for them to do so and then as long as they continue breaking even there is no reason to say no to another one because they still haven't figured it out. And I could argue they haven't figured it out until just now yet anyway. In 2024, they still have no idea when to stop, right? Mm-hmm. So they don't they don't necessarily know that the fourth airport film is not needed. Like we've, we've exhausted the possibilities of the series. We can just move on, but they don't. Like you always have to make one too many at least, right? Mm-hmm. When they re- And even that one made money. So, but uh, yeah. So how did this, how did this die? I don't know. Like, if in a in a different scenario, this would be maybe in, if it was developed like twenty years later, this would kind of move into direct to TV and direct to sci-fi. It would have crocodiles on the plane, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, and in a few years, you get into sort of the first big age of content with the video stores. So we again go listen to what we talked about. At the beginning space of rage. last year, where we talked about space rage in the bottom shelf of the video store. How many times do we mention right? the word space rage? It's a lot. This movie, so this got movie a lot gets of mileage a lot of mention. <laughs> Way um, more than it should. To, yeah. to, to, to mention positives, then, because uh, I wanted to talk about seventy-five in particular. I think seventy-five out the t- out the the three we're talking about tonight is probably the closest akin to the nineteen seventies uh, of what we talked about. Not necessarily in talent, but more so in sort of in cinematic and 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 slash craft because there's bits in here where i think the the really there is a conscious effort to improve on the uh the, the first one again i i said that they probably go too far in cutting out a lot of exposition or particularly a lot of story arc here great uh, yeah keep it simple mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i mean not scale I, this down yeah uh, I, when they just confine it to a cockpit i don't care about anybody else Great, four stars. Yeah, Thanks. I think I think if you ask if, if that question was asked at the end of uh, at the episode of George Seaton's Airport, we all would say. I think we all did. I think I, I definitely put in my camp there. Get rid cut, of all these people. Yeah, <laughs> cut the shit. Cut cut the um, the excess shit. Get straight to the set piece. I do think it's a little bit too far in here, but I, I can't have my cake and eat it. I don't. I don't want to be. I don't want to have to like to, to to. I agree with that. That being said, there is a conscious effort here because. The name thing here is the editing is completely different here. There is no 1960s, Ocean's Eleven, split screens, um, cuts in the middle. Oh, the first one. Yeah, yeah, especially in airport, but it's all like this 1960s aesthetic with its editing. Here, there is actual palpable tension where it's cutting back and forth to the relays, cutting back and forth to Karen Black in the cockpit, back to the station. And the one scene here, right, where I was like, am I actually watching a fucking a, a proper film here? It's when George Kennedy speaks to the uh, to the people on, on the flight and he can't bring him, himself to say I love you because he knows that might be the last time he ever says it. And, and it, 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 the camera's on both of them, cutting back and forth. And they have a comment. I think it's with his wife or at least someone. It, it was, you know, it's, I watched this about a week, week and a half, well, a week ago. 
and the camera ling lingers on him and he can't bring himself to do it and he and he takes away and he like he he you can tell his eyes are watering up and he pulls the um the the microphone away from him i was like wow like, they're actually doing a little bit of of character arc here like there's there's this there's actual substance to here that they might that people might burn and die here but this is going to be quite serious and i think for the most part it really does live up to that um tense atmosphere that that the essentially the fallout of airport which again is like over in 12 seconds that being said a lot can happen in 12 seconds it, it, to me there isn't much vulnerability that comes after that this for, i think for the most part 75 there's actually quite a good job of keeping that tension that atmosphere um again with that edit i think cutting back and forth especially with the salt the salt lake city when they're trying to land i've actually been to the airport as well and it's fucking frightening um i think it's really good but i think that george kennedy sequence as well that being said where where this goes a little bit sour for me in the terms of oh we have something really interesting here is there definitely is a the, the set piece which i think is fine I, i'm not i'm not going to shit on that too much it's actually quite exhilarating. The fact that one goes down first, cuts away and dies is actually quite frightening. The second one who does it, which Alton Heston, I think you're going to know that he's going to get in that plane. The one thing that really, not disappointed me, but I'm going to compare it to another film here in relevance, is speed. And the fact that... Well, it's, it's kind of, I don't want to say disingenuous, but a little bit unfair. And I think I, I made this comp comparison once and Randy chewed me out for this. Well, it's, well, like, no, it's, it's one of the best action films ever made and well, you, you, you can't really you compare let, it to anything. If you let me finish, in context, the one thing about speed that makes it even more engrossing is that Sandra Bullock, from the time that she sits in that chair behind that wheel... Is there all is is all the way in until until the end when she has to dip out? She's constant in a state of fear, but the film never subjects us to 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 undermine her gender, is it, or undermine her as a character because she's in there. The tension is constantly at a, at a knife's edge, and it works because it never takes her out of there and puts a driver in. It never comforts us with a form of safety. Where I think this goes slightly askew is that. It should have had Karen Black land this fucking plane, because not only does that make it to the absolute knife edge of those wheels touching ground, Airport nineteen ninety five would have that scene. It would. I, I'll say I, this much. I think this is the you know it's got to be the American power thing. It's got to be the American hero, and this is that's the seventies as it's well. The and culture, also it's the, the culture of the studios know. too, right? Yeah. I also we need to have a, we need to have the leading man. Like this is the seventies, so we have to like. Universal yeah. in the seventies, still thinking in sixties terms. We have to have a Cary Grant, a Charlton Heston, mm -hmm. a someone. It's also who people will recognize because how are they gonna know? Are they going to watch a Charlton Heston film? What kind of film is this? Because they still think in these sort of heuristics. Like, yeah, a film is a, an ex actor film, right? Who's Karen Black? I don't know. The lady who who lost to Helen Hayes. Oh, that funny lady from that first film. Okay. <laughs> It's probably we love her. We love it's probably her. mandated in Heston's contract as well to to, to be a, the savior. But yes. I just think I just think in in the mm -hmm. in the context of the actual t story and the theme, not necessarily even the gender dynamics of it. I don't I don't think this film's even remotely wanting to have a have a conversation on that. So I feel like it's somewhat mm -hmm. dis um, um, disingenuous of me even bringing it up to, to to fight a battle that this film doesn't even want to, didn't bring up. But 
I do think that just for na- narrative it on a ten. Oh, the Charlton calls her a baby half the time. Like, uh, come we'll, on, like we'll, this is way too early for yeah, that conversation. We'll, 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 as, far we'll, as, as far as this film's concerned. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there, I'm sure. But I, I do think that I mean it's not nowhere bad as the, the misogyny in the first film. We'll give it that. But for me to to, oh, to feel that tension, to feel bounds. that that the atmosphere, to, I just it would have worked so much better for Karen Black to ultimately hold all onto that fear and to land that plane with 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 him next to her. To tell her how to do it, even that is not an issue for me. It's, I'm, I don't find any sort of gender dynamic issue there either. She doesn't know how to fly a plane. He does. I mean, we, let's get over that. But the fact that she would bring that plane down, we would see her from the beginning of that journey to the end, feels a little bit more. It feels far more fulfilling than what we see here. Is that she let she, she she's able then to to pause. But what then the film narratively makes a mistake is that she then goes from holding the tension to then uh, to being a character we watch to being witness to this story, just like us, she becomes a participator rather than a lead, which is interesting, just pushing it to the to the side and bringing essentially what is a third-party third character that we don't really care, we don't really feel has held any of this tension, just land the plane. To me, it really cuts it short. Other than that, I was actually quite fond of 75 in the sense that it answered a lot of questions I had. Um... With, with with the previous film I have in my notes here, I don't know why um, Heston stunt double I don't know why I've got that in there, maybe there's something here um, where they're, but the one bit where I was like oh my god, is when they land it just before and Charlton Heston says Nancy, I love you and it and it's like, he doesn't talk like that really but that's more, like, but uh, anyway but it's so disingenuous it's so flat and empty I think at the end it just loses so much inhibition of it. To, to be fair, I wouldn't have wrote them to be to, to be intimate characters whatsoever. If you're going to bring a third party in, cut it like that. Have him as a third party to bring in here, and we get two separate parallel stories intertwined into one at the end. The fact that they tried to make them an intimate item with issues is a, is a, is probably an ideal to to create a lot more emphasis on engagement and motive immersion. But to me, it just undercuts itself constantly. But I do think that's perhaps a in the nineteen seventies and b. I just think that's a product of of the, the the narrative is that they're not really getting highbrow screenwriters. It very much is a is a, a few studio lackeys putting this together and producing it. But I thought I, yeah, 70, I agree I, with you totally. Yeah, I thought seventy five was actually probably a welcoming um, response when you said in your 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 review on Letterboxd, Jacobit being like. Like that, how to do a proper a sequel? I probably would mm-hmm. agree with it. I think it, I think it's better. I think it's stronger. I think it's tighter. Mm-hmm. I think it's more. No, but the third one is better than the original. Let's put it that way. Like it's not. Well, it's not hard to make a se- good sequel to uh, like a sequel to Airport that's better than the original because the original is dog shit. Patreon.com slash Uncontrolled Sport. I go to find out more. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Do you want to one more? I think that's fair, but I also think it's a false equivalency because the two distinctive differences in there is is, is how they frame this narrative. Like, that the well, se- there is, but at the same time, there is also the the idea that they all like the logic they apply is the same. As in, yeah, of uh, course, yeah. They, they look around, they find out it's just what they what they have as inspiration is way better between seventy and seventy five because they take inspiration from the early new Hollywood gritty realism and try to put shit on location. For the 77, what they decide to to hang their hat on is the Poseidon adventure. As in, like, let's put a... 
let's put a team of people on a in a, in an enclosed location and actually put it underwater and then just like and, and their saving grace is the fact that there's a set piece underwater which is great and then the fourth one no one gives a shit it's like a Roger Corman movie that Roger Corman passed on right because um, he couldn't <laughs> afford to rent the concourse yeah and then yeah. And the the only the only thing is just like well, well let's just do political conspiracies again uh, because that that used to be uh, the older age like five fucking years ago mm-hmm. right and 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 to do a little bit a little bit of that and that's at this point I'm 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 even surprised that they didn't even lift like scenes out of like Avalanche or whatever because apparently yeah it, it would have been cheaper to just lift shit from other films and actually I found out like when I was watching Meteor yesterday. That there is a scene in, in Meteor that they lifted entirely from Avalanche because it was cheaper to to just li- lift instead of sending people onto an onto onto a mountain for the second time. I, but anyway, uh, that's kind of how you see it. Like, there's just like a, the equivalency is always there because they just look around and find what's mo- what's inspiring, and what's inspiring is just less inspiring and it's more diminished. So you have diminishing returns on this until a point right. where this becomes ridiculous, and, and then and you have to have George Kennedy like shooting out of a yeah, window in, in, in the middle of it they still don't know how to write for characters. So, nope. you know, you need to, you need to have Heston be the hero and all, all of that cod swallow. But you don't know how to write for women either. That's kind well, of the problem, right? Well, that's the 1970s as well. Back, back to Jack's comment, the, the underdog story, having Karen Black well, land the plane, knows. having Karen Black land the plane, that's 20 years away. Having an underdog land the plane, that's two years away in Rocky, but having it like a woman underdog, land the plane that's you know 25 years away from you know any scriptwriter probably um we mentioned this 77 film what do you guys think of the set piece we've talked about it a little bit maybe we'll switch gears to that one because to me that's that's the highlight of these three films is the is the spectacle the the submerged plane and the escape of it i find that's pretty engrossing oh, stuff the set piece is great and also like what what, I, what my note says it's kind of like all the money in the world a little bit because like Jimmy Stewart is kind of like J, you know, like 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 JP Getty or right? Is it JP? JP Getty? I don't know. One of them. Uh, you know, um, Christopher Plummer is what he is. Um, right. <laughs> um, but the set piece. I mean, as I said, it's kind of put, like Poseidon Adventure, and like he puts put shit underwater and put an actual Navy SEALs like rent them for a day. Mm-hmm. To, to put scuba suit, scuba diving suits on and then just do something ridiculous. And apparently this ridiculous thing is is a real protocol that people would follow, even though the, the plane shouldn't sink, it should float. And, and, oh, one thing, it should float. And the other thing is, like, up, upon hitting water the way it hit, probably the, the tail would break off and just the thing would just, like, fall into pieces all these people would die. So it's, like, realism's out the window, so you kind of have to suspend your disbelief here. And all you have to trust on is the fact that, you know, like, now we, we generate suspense by virtue of the fact that we're trapped in here, there's water outside, and it's going to get in. That's kind of where the suspense comes from, which is the Poseidon adventure thing all over again, because you're being chased by water rising everywhere, right? Yeah. That's kind of where you are. That's kind I, of, and that's why it works. I also think there's a, there's a, there's a form of, like, natural human instinct here of, um, of, 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 of the Earth, in a, in a, um, how, do I, how do I explain this? There's sort of this natural aspect of like fearing Mother Nature in this film, in the sense that like why why um, volcano works, Dan, Dante's Peak, um, elements like that. The day the day of the Earth is still to a certain extent, but these natural disasters um, and, and these disaster epics, I think are far more personalized 
with a form of reality based them. I think Jaws is a perfect example that the, the, the water essentially acts as a, as a villain in itself. That it camouflages, it, it's frightening. It, it can, it can, it can. You can drown from it. You can drink. You can die from drinking it. You can die from what's in it. That there's this this horrible ideal with it where there are, it's multifaceted and it's terror, but it's absolutely harmless in the same sense. Like we we have to live with it. And I think the water aspect in seventy seven for me. Also, I quite like aquatic journeys because I just I like the camera work. I love Thunderball. I haven't seen the deep yet, but because of this recommendation, this podcast was so bad. I mean, watch it. I mean, for no, all you, I care, you, watch, you watch, fucking destroyed it for almost two watch, and a half hours. Watch it, but it's dog shit. Yeah, you. Almost, yeah. I, I, I was in York. I was listening. I was like, I'm going to go home tonight after work because I was driving in my car and I listened to a fucking podcast. And I was like, we're going to detour now, but you brought this up. And I was like, I, I actually really want to watch. I want to watch Nick Nolte in the seventies. I can't wait for it. And I listened to the first 20 minutes and you shit on it from the moment it started to the moment it ended. I was like, you bastards. 1977, the date. Anyway, I, I, I do like aquatic stuff. I do want to watch the Poseidon Adventure 2, whatever that is, um, when we get to it. But um, I do find that that form, it's a constant sinking feeling. And it's the exact issue that Airport got wrong with the bomb. If we would have known that the bomb is ticking away and we had constant reminders of that threat, the impact of that being thrilling, atmospheric, and intense would be a wonderful to behold. This gets it right, but doesn't doesn't understand how to do it in the sense that the water is constantly surrounding us. It's swelling. It's breaking in. It's a silent threat that once it once it engulfs, it, you're going to drown. You're going to be trapped here with nowhere. You're going to die. It's a ticking time bomb in itself. It's executed perfectly in the sense that we constantly get. It's it's in it's, it's it's terribly done, but the effects of its time don't get me wrong. But we see it through the uh, the windows. We see it slowly burst through at the bottom. When we have the door explode, it bursts in with terror. It doesn't know how to do it in a sense that it's being conscious in doing it. In the terms of a director or a production design understanding that this is actually its villain in itself, not the terrorist, but the actual mother nature. But once it once it understands that, that when we get to that third act, which we both with me, well, Randy has I don't know about you, Jacob, but I think pretty sure you'll be on our side. It rampants up there because you have mother nature. Then we have we have mankind or or, or human beings trying to rescue uh, a group of people from the, the clutches of mother nature, from the water, something like that. That to me intensifies as a nature tenfold. When we when you look at the actual set piece, it is it is silly, but it's also thrilling. And there is, it is, there is this, you know, it, it, this film does, does take some casualties here. It, it doesn't pick and choose here. It, it really does want to, it wants to get rid of you. It gets rid of you. Um, and it does so in quite like grim fashion, like just watching someone float up, which is a little bit silly, but the, the, the nature of it's, it, it, it's, that's Christopherly. Yeah. I mean, again, just... the ex- but it, it ultimately sums up the, the whole procedural <laughs> here is that the execution is timid, but what they, what, what they get, the, the idea is it's all here. But that's where I, I, I come down to 77 being the one that, I mean, it takes a while to get there and the terrorist faction and the, the Christopher Lee I, and his mate talking about gold or something. I like, don't give a shit about any of this, by the way, in no, this movie. No one does. Yeah, exactly. No, I don't give a shit. I don't know what Christopher Lee and his wife are doing and they should have an affair. Who's a fuck? Why is no one on this plane? Why are there six people on here? Why does his daughter not seem to give a it's shit? It's a luxurious yeah. private 747, by the yeah. way. So this we're is all, exactly J. Paul of, Getty type of player. They're all, they're all friends, friends of Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. That's what but, they're doing there. But, but <laughs> like, I, I've got in my notes here that the, the dialogue on the news of a father being ill is like, 
I think one of the it goes honestly, it's so fucking bad. It mm. just it goes back to that that the screenwriters just. I don't know. I think that's a big boom B movie thing. I can't go too much into it. I don't want to annihilate it. But I think for set piece here, this gets it. This gets mm-hmm. the 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 you don't need a bomb. You don't need um a, a a literal villain here. You can have an idea, an ideology, or or, or an unwaving entity if it's Mother Nature or what come down to. Or you can just have an accident that seventy five had. It, it it understands that the the shit can just happen. And these characters have to deal with it. And I think there's no surprise that 75 and 77 take accidents or, or mother nature or aspects of our reality that are quite scary, vulnerability. Also, there's Bermuda, Bermuda Triangle disappearances. That was big in the 70s, no? That was big in the 70s I and think 80s, it's still yeah. big now. You fucking QAnon people. Loads of things are big with QAnon people. I think um, I think Martin Sheen's there with um, Kirk Douglas, isn't it? He's like, still there. One thing I wanted to kind of just quickly mention. There's one thing, like if you think about, like what's the threat in the first one? The uh, the bomb, the blows, and whatever. But then, like I think I agree. There's something that you can understand and relate to when it comes to water as a threat, because we all have some kind of an experience where you, where you know what it is what it what it feels like to be close to drowning you know what it feels like to gasp for air when you're like even in a swimming pool you will have at least one experience when you just felt like fucking this was close you know so you know what it what kind of danger rising water level may be when you're trapped in a location right i think that's something that's whereas say a decompressing plane or a or a plane crash it's completely alien to absolutely 99.999% of the population because most people who would have an experience of having a plane crash would not survive it. So you don't go and tell the tale. You don't you live with an experience like this. You just die. And then also, like, like all you have is a mock exercises every time you board a plane. Like, this is what you do. You put on a mask. So for it, for it's a theater almost. Like, you, I don't know what it... What kind of like I do this? Like it's it's almost like a part of the experience to pretend like to see this woman put on a mask and whatever. I don't know what it what kind of anxiety this is, right? You know, like but but I know what it feels like to be what it must feel like to be trapped in a location where there's only this much headroom and the water is rising and I'm gonna die in three seconds. I you know? this is where I come in, right? I have experienced this. A few years ago, and this is going to where it gets quite uncanny, but we'll go go with it, right? I went to go visit my girlfriend, now wife, and I had to fly from, I flew from Manchester and I flew to um, Missoula, which is in Montana, home of David Lynch for anyone out there. And I had to Hi, get, I, yeah, I, I, had to, I had to get about um, three um, different planes to get there. I got one from Chicago to Atlanta. I got a plane from Atlanta to Salt Lake City. And on the way to Salt Lake City, it was a very small plane. Very few people were there. And as I was, as we were flying, it was very dark, and the wind burst, and lightning happened. Um, it was, it was, it was before Christmas. It was really bad in the winter, and um, the lights went off on the plane. And, I, and there's only about nine, about eighteen people on this this fifty fifty uh, seater plane, and um, all the things came down the oxygen masks. And it was so dark outside. I swear to God, I still remember it to this day. I, 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 I swear on my mom's life. Someone shouted, oh my God, I can see I can see water outside. And for that moment, 
I can uh, the, the, the just the acceptance of being like I'm going to die, I'm going to die, and then the lights came back on. Is like it, it, it is generally one of the most haunting moments I can imagine. So when I when I watch these, I I can understand the vulnerability, but in the same token, like you said, it, it, it shouldn't be too difficult to devise these circumstances in the in the in the form of we understand it as human nature, what we fear and what we worry about. We worry about the unknown. We worry about the 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 acceptance of morality. I do think that the second and, th- and third films understand that identity from this moral compass of there is an unknown nature to the to, to the entities of what causes death and and destruction in the second and third one. It's an accident in the sky, and then it then it's a it's a it's a crashing of waters slowly. Um, cl- well, it's it's, clo- it's slowly but surely uh, grasping onto these people's lives, it's going to come into the plane. The first and the fourth one don't seem to get that, and they use a very gimmicky ideal of of a plane coming into contact, and it does lose that grasp. But I also think it's interesting that the, that the first and the, the last, are the poorest examples, are both at the start of the 70s and at the end of the 1970s, which is interesting that the, the actual believability, the reality, comes in the middle there which is interesting coming from the 60s of what those tales were like, which are sort of like whimsical tales, albeit with with a little bit of a profound poignancy within the cinematic medium. Then you get into the 80s, which is the overblown action orientation of like non-reality. So I think that's partly the problem as well. Thank you for indulging yeah. me there. Uh, what, I, what I'd say to just sort of add to what both you guys are saying, about these films, I think the... And again, they're just figuring out how to make disaster films in the start of the 70s. But uh, one of the things that has to be considered in making a disaster film, what's the nature of your disaster? And if your disaster is an explosion, well, then you've got, as we saw in Airport, the original, they deal with that for for five minutes. And then there's five minutes of a a tense uh, landing of the plane. So Airport deals with that for 10 minutes. If you're just dealing with an explosion or the depressurization of a plane or in the Concorde where, oh, there's a missile chasing the plane. So you've got a five minute set piece. And then when that lets go, what have you got to? You've got plot. So the script is like, well, what are we going to do now? Well, we better default back to this conspiracy theory and these little uh, love lines that we have going on between George Kennedy and the hooker. So and that's sort of the problem with the the original one too is that well what do we do outside of the bomb and the bomb is such a small affair we've got all these little uh, subplots that are happening but when the flip ships over in Poseidon Adventure the and you have earthquake which you is said like, the flip ships over nice yeah yes did I I could be I'm tired it's been a long week so I could be backwards and everything oh, I've said all night I'm glad I caught this. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, no, that that's okay. But when when the idea of survival takes place over an extended period of time, inherently some drama and some suspense comes just with that because you know water is just outside the fuselage, you, you know, and how are we going to get out? And in order to get out, we need time. So you know, the suspense comes out of that. Like we need to get out so that we can send a beacon and then someone needs to come and save us. So all this stuff takes time and that's all sort of connected to, uh, you know, connected to the suspense as silly as it is and implausible as it is in airport 77. And the same, the same thing that 
uh, Airport 75 also gets right is that, okay, well, not maybe early as early in the film as it should be, but you have a small plane hits the big plane, and then you've got this catastrophe that unfolds over a good chunk of the film from just before the halfway point to the end. So there's suspense that comes with that because how are we going to get out of this? It, we need time to get out of this. Whereas an explosion, boom, you know, you're all, you're sort of one and done. Depressurization of a plane, boom, one and done. Couple minutes, you know, dodge a missile, you know, boom, one and done. A couple of minutes. So uh, that that to me is what makes the the middle films, you know, is sort of odd and problematic as they still are with you know just some of their choices that they make. Uh, they sort of work on the, on their own terms, sort of as campy and, you know, sort of be spirit as, as they may be. They're sort of working because at least they get that right. Well, you get, you get this sort of the urgency, right? As in like, well, we introduce a, a scenario with a ticking time bomb. As in like, here's this plane, it's on autopilot and there's a mountain in front of it. So there's, okay, here's our stakes. Here's the time limit. And here's suspense yeah, as a result of that, right? 77, same deal. Here's a plane underwater, and it's in a matter of time before the, the sh- I don't know, the door gives in. That's kind of what you have. And you don't know when mm-hmm. Hitchcock can suspense once more. In 79, you have no idea because there's a rocket outside, and then there's, an, oh, there's a plane from where? Okay. Evasive maneuvers. Yeah, and yeah, evasive maneuvers. The seven, the first one, same deal. Yeah. I was like, there's a bomb on a plane, and the, well, it goes bam, and then nothing happens. Like it's not, it's not good. So I think the, the the middle ones, they get it right on the back of just textbook suspense generation. That's kind of all this is, and it works. Yeah, and also on the fact that they shoot on location a lot of the time helps. Yeah, I I also Sorry. feel like the, the the it's all right. I feel like the best um the best disaster features understand the spectacle and how to minimize it, not necessarily just for cost, but for impact. Showcase it. Localize. Yeah, terrorize and have it slowly burning in the background and that the characters, the issues of of, of personal issues and personality and and, and that immersion of reality takes precedent. But that that lingering fashion of this, we're we're actually on a a ship that's turned over in a plane that's, that's in the middle of, the, um, of the ocean or you know it's, it's going to hit hit a, hit a mountain that's at the background so even when you get past the personalized stuff that we find organic and authentic as as human beings we find immersion there there's that horrifying notion of what what christ but then we've got that i think that's where the best balance is that's the issue that i have with 79 if i come on to that because that is the oh, antithesis and that is the antithesis of the uh, of, of what makes stuff work in the fact that they use character very slim and un- undeniably try to heighten the spectacle to a point where they do it so much, they actually run into parody and don't even think they're doing it. That 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 B-roll, that 180 roll shooting the flare out, is like, it's so patronizing to watch. It's so stupid. It's actually quite fun. But I, mean, I, I the- it's, it's more. It, Jacob, it is kind of Jacob, like the roaring shark. Jacob, it is kind of like the roaring shark. He winds down a fucking window and a concord <laughs> in a concord. Yeah, yeah I know. I wrote no, this down. There's no. I actually there's, googled this. Yeah. I googled this. I tried to find out. Can you actually open a window in a concord? Just just on the off chance, because I was like, this is fucking brain dead. Hold on, let me check. Just on the off chance that this is actually possible. It's not. His no. sleeve doesn't even <laughs> ripple with the wind. It's just small. It's small <laughs> moments there where we're like, I'm just watching him thinking. They really thought that they were making spectacle here, but it actually condes- it's not only condescending. I think it's patronizing to the material itself. 
because there's such a heavy handedness with spectacle and because it's reiterating and reiterating it, we actually get tired of it very quickly. And ultimately, what is then left? There's a conspiracy here and there, and it doesn't really come anywhere. And that's just sort of the prologue to get this started. There's not really any tension here. I'll tell you one thing I did like about 79. I think it scores quite good. It has that like like seventy nine. I mean, the scores are good, like across the board outside. Yeah, like it's all because yeah. I think in the Lalo fourth one, Halo yeah. Schifrin, right? Yeah, 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 which is outstanding. <laughs> I will say this though, um, I have a, I have a bit of a, a, a beef with um, Alon um, Delon because is that Sai Brown's his name? Alain Delon. Alain Delon. Yeah. Because I was watching uh, Marinette. This is relevant. Don't fucking Help. cut away. I was watching Marinette. I was watching uh, Marian, uh, Marie Antoinette, sorry, Sophie Coppola's film, Five Stars, excellent. Reading about the production of that, he turned Marie Antoinette down, the film, because he didn't think that it would highlight a very important piece of French history in a good light, yet he chose to do this. I mean, make your choices, buddy. <laughs> what a fucking horrible choice to do. I mean, I, I don't even think this has anything to do with, like, the, the French well, political... he needed money. It's the seventies. Like, well, like, you know how much well, he, cocaine cost then? Yeah, well, well, that, I think I think he's trying to make a splash. Little... I don't know his other films, but he he was trying to make a splash for a while in the states. So I think it's sort of like the Jack Lemon thing. If, if there's oh. something that comes up where I'm the lead of something in a big budget, put me in. I, I sort of wonder if it's that type of thing. Oh, I'm, I'm gutted for him. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, I just I just find it quite patronizing. I just get to 79 and, and there's a bit where um, where he follows this girl and she get because I, I think I've been to I think it's, it's a Charles Legale isn't at the airport and there's a bit I've been in the airport I spent many hours on a layover there and um, there's a bit where he watches her get on the train and, and as the train starts to move he moves with it and I'm watching it thinking there's actually some competency here there's actually somebody who has an idea of what they want to do with the camera but it's constantly undermined by that need for the for the spectacle, which underwhelms and 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 uh, co- it just condescends the whole the whole thing. There's something. Is this quite like in- the mobile jetway thing? Yeah, yeah. But they, they, yeah. It, see, it, I see this as like this guy, wh- whoever's com- conceptualizing this shot, is like I don't know what what I'm doing, but what I know is that all the president's men and the marathon man and all and the three days of the condor have shit like this, so that's probably fine. It's probably cool to put in a movie. But yeah, that's kind of how I see it. Is. We, and I, these do, mobile, do you, the, these mobile jetway things, like they're unique to Dulles. If if maybe I'm not following exactly the moment you're talking about, but these things I think are sort of special to only a few airports, like Montreal and Washington Dulles Airport. But so Jacob, this is probably we're on location type of moment. Yeah, didn't you, mm-hmm. but Jacob, didn't, didn't you say you said about the, in, emulating sort of previous um, well, contemporaries and peers? That's my entire narrative for this show, by the way. Like today, like this, they, that's kind of my gimmick for now. These are Bond films, and so they look at yeah. the previous three, four films, and are they just kind of kind of encapsulate what 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 works. Where do you, where do you draw the line then? Because ultimately, we, we've come we've come down this, and I agree with you wholeheartedly about what you've said. But are you? Are, if the, the, but the film itself emulates a 1970s Bond film. That's that's fair enough. But the fact that a, a cinematographer or or at least someone who's devising this, a director, he's trying. The producer to- will leave a note. Can you make this look like like this? Or oh, I I watched the Marathon Man the other day. That was cool. Can we put it? In, can where's where's Lawrence Olivier? These but I days? Do, you know, like, that's I kind of like oh, people imagine like people would just leave notes on the script and say like, can we make this like that? Or like, I, I like on the storyboard even just like can we make this. 
like this movie, this movie that I liked. I mean, I don't have any sort of issue with that as long as you do, as long as you do it and execute it quite well. I don't think there's a necessary issue. I don't think no, it- no, it's not an issue. But in like, but but if you filter this through the fact that you know, like, people who are doing this are not inspired filmmakers these are people who take orders and execute then this is what you get it's just like well, well, this like, a, like the sort of the third rate bond movie bond movie like this is what you get if you if you make a bond movie out of a bond movie yeah no i agree it's yeah? like yeah i, th- I yeah. think it's like it's like you know when you compress a file and then you can yeah. and it like goes down a few megabytes and like the all of a sudden like pixels like yeah. Dis- yeah. yeah i think airport 79 is like compressed six times and I think like you know, like you see like a meme on Twitter or whatever, and you just see like why is the graphics so shit? Because this shit's been reposted like a thousand times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, ju- I just I just come to a point with seventy nine where there's points where I needed to turn it off. I really did. I, I get Look, to- the minute George Kennedy <laughs> opens a window and just starts shooting flares. <laughs> but this again, this is this comes back to like we don't know how to generate suspense. We have to have some kind of a moment, and they just they don't have any ideas and then uh, frankly maybe this is it because all they know is they want to showcase the concord because and but they don't know what to do with the plot and they paint themselves into corners constantly and let let me that and i'm not even going going to get into the fact that across all of these films except for the second one which is 75 people can just randomly make phone calls to a plane I mean, my disbelief went a long time. Jakub, I think my disbelief went a long time before that. Fair enough, though. Yeah, I don't have too much to add. Was it B.B. Anderson is in the fourth one? Yeah. She has the... Oh, this is going to come back. But she has has a private conversation in a cockpit while wearing a headset about some, like... arms deals and whatever i'm oh, just like that, and, all the, and george blakely. kennedy's just everyone's pretending they're not listening <laughs> isn't that susan blakely is it is it susan blakely it's not bb anderson no that's susan blakely yeah okay okay at this point yeah. all these movies like in terms of cast apart from like karen black whom i remember because she's a very prominent part of the second one mm-hmm. and maybe jack lemon i can all these casts they kind of merge into one <laughs> Sort of, uh, yeah. On that, I I wanted to talk about the ensemble cast. So um, they all merge into one. Next, <laughs> yes, they yes they do. <laughs> Why do you think that they're sticking with the idea of the ensemble cast? Uh, you know, right through the decade. You know, I think it it probably had its nostalgia appeal, and that's probably part of the reason why it sold. Uh, the we original talk, airport pretty well. Like we talked about this because the, this is what worked and we don't know how to make ra- radical changes. So let's stick to this. And then over time, like, or, or spread across a decade, you could probably say, oh, like this is how you make adjustments. So on a large enough time scales, like they make these changes, but they're, all, they're almost like on geological time scales. <laughs> <laughs> from, from where I'm sitting. Yeah. Because yeah. I, do, I do find this, I, I find this a fascinating piece just that you have regularly in these and not just the airport films but through all kinds of these uh disaster films you have these old time stars that are coming back for another kick at the kick at the can like the olivia de havilland's and the joseph cotton's like these types of appearances for uh for actors and uh, anyway i i find it amusing and i find that largely they'd learned the lesson after airport that 
all these subplots, you know, Helen Hayes probably shouldn't have her own subplot. You know, we've got to focus on the the suspense. I think they've largely done away with that, but they still stick with the idea of having these huge casts, which is amusing to me. To know so I, I've got two answers for this. The, the first <laughs> part is that I think it's a universal thing to keep, to, 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 to Universal had this moniker where if you watch their um, 100th anniversary uh, intro, they very much keep the impression that they keep everybody together. They're a family. They want to keep everyone together. Uh, performances, artists, et cetera, et cetera. Get them on the lot, et cetera. I think secondly as well is that I think to, to, in, in to, in, to sort of read into that, it also gives these actors and actresses a pension. It gives them money at the end of their life where they weren't afforded to be able to do that in the, in the beginning of the films, partly because they probably weren't perhaps paid enough or the royalties are decreased. And secondly, it gives them health insurance, for, for more so for the uh, the elderly aspects like Helen Hayes and stuff, I think is interesting. Gives them health insurance. Uh, yeah. but, but, all, but, all, but that's only like very small oh, entities. Oh, very nice of them. Well, yeah, I mean, they're fucking doing something. But, but I also think that partly it becomes a, a task of, of um, not necessarily the universal, but more so the producers, not quite still understanding who they are aiming these for. They're aiming an, 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 a sort of adult-oriented audience with its cast, quite young um, audiences with a plot. And then the execution is a little bit in the middle. In the middle. No, they're not aiming at young audiences with the plot. I'm sorry, they're aiming at the same old audience because the what they they're they're all defying what young ad- audiences would respond to. F- f- like you watch, like okay, well, the 55 year old who enjoys an, a, a Airport 77 would shit his pants while watching The Exorcist and The French Connection. So they just. You know, like put some Prozac in the in, in in the new Hollywood and give it to him, and that's the Bond effect, you know. Put some Prozac on that on that cake, and just give it to your pensioner parents. Okay, that's kind of the movie. <laughs> Sorry, that's another yeah. essay brewing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. For, for me, I I agree with you, Jack. Sorry. Actually, I I wrote a tongue in cheek piece this week about how disaster films of the seventies really are. Uh, That's retirement, a good one, by the way, <laughs> retirement <laughs> villa date daycare centers for seniors, <laughs> because you know seemingly you could just Gloria Swanson's caretakers could drop her off on the set, she can show up, the producers and director would let her write her own lines, slouch in her chair, and let her go home for this, you know, in time for the, the six care- o'clock. The caretaker news. gets a day off. <laughs> It's totally what it is. It's an active li- living center for seniors. Randy, if, you know? Randy, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think part part of Gloria Swanson's contract was that she would actually stay on Universal lot when people came round. They could see her, and they could. They, it was a promotional tool as well. I'm pretty wow. sure that's accurate. Yeah, that that wouldn't surprise me because she did have a bungalow on the lot, and you that's know, it. others in the cast didn't, so, so she wouldn't it, yeah. wander off. <laughs> I don't blame her. So you know, I I think that's a, that's that's totally a thing. And it's let so these old stars, <laughs> let these old stars do whatever they want, and let's give them something. Let's give them something that they can act. So it's a, it's, you know, to folks who are have have begun the part of the career where they're receiving offers, playing the grandfather or the grandmother or the wise mentor in two scenes. 
some of the stuff that they give actors to do in this is, is sort of exciting, you know, like in, in the swarm, there's a love triangle between uh, Fred McMurray, Ben Johnson and Olivia de Havilland in the middle of this film about swarms of killer bees. And, mm-hmm. you know, in, in this Eddie Albert, you know, he gets to show up on set and I don't know how old he is here. He's, he looks 80, but he's got this beautiful 30 year old wife. Like that just, that just must feel good as an old man. You look in the mirror and say, you still got it, Gramps. This is amazing. So there's something where these, these roles in these films are totally catering, I think, to the egos of the stars, you know, and they're letting people, they're letting these folks come in and wear whatever they want and write their own lines. And, uh, and so, they're also cheap to, to hire, right? Because they're on their books. Exactly. And, and yeah, and the, yeah, they're also they're also in that system, right? They're in the, the old Hollywood ways. They're on speed dial, and you can reach them easily. So anyway, it's sort of interesting, and it's interesting to me that you know not just the airport series, What's, but all the disaster think, movies seem think to follow this straight through. I think you're onto something because, like, I can imagine, like, they're on their books, sort of scenarios. Like, oh, we have, you know, like Jimmy Stewart's on on the Universal payroll, so might as well get him in, and you know, he's gonna have a day out, as you say. Like, you know, it's, it's gonna be fun for him, and he's gonna say, like, oh, Benji, I'm your grandpa, and it's just like it's not even in the script, but keep it, you know. Get your <laughs> hands off me. Yeah, <laughs> but but I I watched I watched these sort of Roger Corman films, like I think Meteor is also American international production, right? So Meteor and Avalanche, I watched. And then you have like Sean Connery is in one of them, mm-hmm. Rogue Hudson is in the other. So it's it's not even that they're on people's books. These are just people who just like a job, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, I, at I, this I, point. I have another theory as well, which is probably more practical. It also works in a catch-22 in that for when I say about, I think a lot of grandparents will take their, their, their grandchildren to see this film. And the grandchildren sure. will who mm-hmm. is that? And they'll go, that's just J- Jimmy Stewart. He was in the film called Rare Window. Like he, he worked with a guy called Hitchcock. And what it does is it, that it, it creates a, a generational knowledge, a generational interest. And by using old active Universal um, cast members. It's studio self-preservation. Yes. Brilliant. Yeah. And also, also <laughs> self-serving yeah. into getting a new audience to find those films. Which in the seventies is like people, Hitchcock's getting re-released, Jalo's coming up, so Hitchcock's look getting looked back. De Palma's coming back. Well, De Palma's blossoming to something. There is this interesting looking back at the sixties and redeveloping it for the seventies as well within the genre directors. But I think it's quite self-serving interest in the sense of the like oh, well, who, who, Gloria Swanson or she was in a film called um, but uh, Sunset Boulevard. Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, yeah, and people go out watch that. So it's interesting that it John definitely Crawford taps into almost, almost in it. By the way, right. Yeah, very strange. Yeah. yeah, no, it definitely taps into the nostalgia thing as something marketable. You know, it just after the first foray into it with Airport, it just seemed that all these, you know, moments were just so, so brutal, but they still stuck with it. And, yeah. you know, it's it's interesting to see Jimmy George show up for a film at his age. Can't uh, this and, and Joseph Cotton and all these guys, you know, who I like. So it does... It serves that nostalgia purpose, but you know it's, it, they're not necessarily adding anything, and it really does feel for for Jimmy Stewart like you're taking your grandfather down to the construction site so you can watch the bulldozers. Because oh, can we take can we take Mister Stevens? That's that's James Stewart. Can we take him along on the boat to watch the operation? Yeah, I'd, I'd really like that. And it's just like taking him to. <laughs> 
to watch Big Machinery. And I totally know that my grandfather would have loved that. Let's, oh, let's go down to the worksite and watch them use the crane. <laughs> you know. Anyway, it's it's a thing. Old folks love that. And that's I mean, all it's I a bit different as well. This. Because if, for some reason, there's this sort of Old majestic... Old folks love that. Okay, yeah, no. there's, this, there's, this, there's this majestic thing about planes that they're trying to evoke in here. Like, well, in the third one, say like you get to see, uh, like oh, we have a special camera for you to watch the takeoff, like, as though it was special because it was special at the time, especially for old folks who just then remember. Like remember we had to take zeppelins or like yeah. Do you remember <laughs> the Hindenburg? Yeah. Stay tuned for Stay next tuned. week. Yeah. Oh God. All right, let me just look through my notes. Do I have anything else on my radar? Ensemble casts. Uh, I don't I'm just think looking I at do. like my bottom my bottom list for the entirety. I could just do it in the fourth one. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, okay, we talked about the Olympics. Anything else on your guys? Oh, what do you guys think of uh, Patroni? We should have at least a. a Brief moment, <laughs> disgusting, 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 how disgusting he, George Kennedy through these. How is he the face of the series is beyond me. Like, I don't know, you know? And at this point, I'm kind of angry. <laughs> like, Actually, I was sort of annoyed too, because in the fifth one, he's got this whole backstory and he's a main character. But remember in the in the first film, if I'm not mistaken. What fifth one? No, the first one. <laughs> What's the first one? I, I could very well be slurring, but in the... <laughs> In the fourth one, one, I don't know who's slurring because I have been up since four <laughs> fifteen in the morning. Sorry, they can't, they, it's they can't me. be another one. They can't. They yeah. can. They can't be another one. No. Please. Well, hopefully I didn't say it. But anyway, in the fourth film, the George liner. Kennedy. Yeah. <laughs> George Kennedy. He's he's a, a lead, and he he's got a whole backstory, and his wife is dead, and he has one kid, and but in the first one, Mine in nineteen seventy. But don't they say, doesn't he say in the first one, he just wants to stay at home during the storm, get it on with his wife, and we had made these special arrangements. with his wife. But we made these special arrangements to get, to send our five kids to the grandparents. Am I remembering that? Like, he's a totally different character. Because he's James Bond. (laughs) Yes. And that's, that's the level we're on. But anyway... He's, the, he's a different guy every time. Shut up and talk. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, sorry, go ahead. George, George Kennedy. Like, that's what threw me is like, by the time we get to the end, like, what are we doing with this guy? Like, it's just, well, we're honoring George Kennedy because he's been in all of them. We'll give him a little bit more. He's never been a pilot. Let's make exactly. him a pilot. Make him, make him a pilot. He's just like, I recognize this perfume, pilot. Have a good day. I'm like, yeah. what a strange conversation to have with a guy. <laughs> also, just wanted just like, to meet you. He knocks on a well, door with the do not disturb handle. Exactly, because that's what you do when someone puts a do not disturb sign on the door in a hotel. Just you disturb. Ignore the do not, exactly. Yeah. I'm anyway, sure I like right. Kennedy. I think he's, yeah. he's he's got a commanding presence and a certain star quality, which I like, but you know, <laughs> I, I don't I don't get him in in these like he's in very it's is it the Third or fourth, where he's he's got only two or three scenes. I guess he's not significant in either of them. He's the hero who shoots flares out of a Concorde. He has more than three scenes. Okay, in the third one, he's in the second one. He's essentially in the in the in the tower with Charlton Heston, baby. 
And, and I think one in the third point, one, he has like two sentences or something. Yeah, so it's the third one, he has hardly anything to do. Well, I'll just stay here and talk about the stress points of the aircraft. Because I can Almost talk. made it sound like Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have much range. Anyway. <clears throat> Unless anyone has anything else to offer, I think my talking points are grounded. I that's we need to we need to we need to bring this home. Like land this baby, because I don't know. Alright. Okay. <clears throat> let's let's do it then. So let's wrap this up and so Let's do it this way. Mention each film, whether or not they're a gem or not, your favorite film. Uh, and yeah, we'll then we'll move on to our tops and bottoms. Jack, do you want to lead the way? Yeah, of course I will. I'm going to make some bold statements here. I think the second and third one are uncut gems. I think they are actually... I, I, think, I think there's something to look at both of those films. And this is where I'm going to throw it sideways here. There's something quite interesting about both those films and, and quite exciting and engaging. But you have to watch the first film first, not necessarily because you have to put yourself you have through to it. Struggle yeah. through the first I, one. I think I think you've got to put it in perspective, in context of to see what the actual initial boundaries were and how poor they were. I think one, once once you get that, I think the, the two become even more enjoyable. But I think just straight lays, I think they're quite fun. They're, 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 not, they're nothing too difficult to to dissect and digest. Um, I, I, I can't even muster up the courage to even dissect the fourth one anymore. I think the fourth one is absolutely just shite. A patronising um, expose of of Universal in, in, in 1979 that they, they crafted a, 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 an action film that then they had to sort of uh, reiterate that it was a comedy to go back on in, in retrospect. I think that's just appalling. Um very very poor in all, all sense of the words, but it's it's definitely a, a, a franchise with diminishing returns, although a very strange one because it goes one is p- poor, two is okay, two is good, three is enjoyable for what it is. The fourth one's horrific. It's interesting that I've never really known a franchise with the second and third out of a out of a quadruple or probably the best ones. But this has been enjoyable. I I do I do find if if I watch. 75 or 77 again i probably will be more beneficial to 77 i still think that's my favorite i think that there's something there where it's it's remotely enjoyable because it takes itself away i still find it a little bit frightening i, I, I find it really quite um, engaging and immersive so diminishing returns but definitely highlights two and three uncut gems the fourth no chance um did you give cool. star ratings for them no i haven't yet i would give Three for th- three for two. <laughs> They're going to be complicated now. Three for three, and I give probably unwatchable for four. A one star. Is one star watchable? Like Jesus, like your rate, Un- your rating system is just don't bizarre. come for me, Jacob. We've had a really nice night tonight. Yeah, we had a you really said nice person. Oh fucking lie! Oh fucking lie! Please. I, I mean, this this is me just because I've been up since. God knows when, so I don't know. I hope people listen to this, right? And listen don't to the worry, they're not. And, and listen to <laughs> they are. Stop it. I hope people listen to the first episode the, the last episode I was on here with you, to this one. Because you were so ecstatic the last time. Giggle all fun. And then this one is like the burnout. I can only think it's it's Concord. I really do. I think it's got to you. I think I'll I'll make some bold statements here. So 
Airport 1975 is enough of a reason to buy the stupid box set, right? And actually, I'll probably say this. This movie exists without the franchise. Like, you can just cut all these three out of this, and it's still just... Just rename it as something that's just not Airport in a, in a year that was released. No, that it wasn't released in. <laughs> just anything. I don't know. Hole on a plane. I don't know. Charlton on a plane. Whatever. Just you, you pick. I don't know. You figure out. I'm not creative. Um, it would it would still work because it's kind of like this its own capsule. So I like it for that, and it's 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 one of the most sort of scaled down, localized pieces of suspense, relying on very rudimentary suspense generation, and it works. And it's also shot like with real planes, like seeing an actual jumbo jet just flying very low, like above like these sort of mountains and hills of Utah, just looks great. That's all I need. And Karen Black is actually really good in it. Yes. So 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 that's kind of what it is. With as with the little that she has to do to do in this movie, she does a, a lot. Because she doesn't get a lot of lines. She's supposed to be hysterical half the time, but she really uh, I don't know, sells her sort of like the self-assured confidence of someone who has to actually step up and she has doesn't necessarily have all the um like everything that she's she thinks she needs to 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 do the job that she's asked to do so she's what i love about the 70s a lot of a lot of cinema that i like and a lot of books that i like is about ordinary people put in extraordinary circumstances that's kind of what i love about cinema and about storytelling in general usually like it's it's a fucking award-winning recipe put a regular person in an in a in an extraordinary situation and ask them to outperform their their limitations fucking brilliant anyway but she doesn't get to do this because Charlton has to swoop in. <clears throat> so that would be four out of five for me. Um, and I rate high. I have a lot of five-star ratings in my in, in my So take it with a grain of salt. The, 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 the airport 1977, it's a three out of five. I like it. It's but it kind of just it kind of just reels back to the original. So there's this of like Christopher Lee who gives a shit. Uh, but the final set piece really saves this movie for me. Like, I really like the fact that it's underwater. It's just, it becomes, re- again, finally becomes simple, even though, like, there's supposed to be this, like, I don't know, plot of some, like, I don't know, someone's robbing a plane. Like, who gives a shit? It's kind of like the first one again. But they save it with the third act. And the second one, and this is the the bold statement, it's actually better than the original. On the back of how stupid it is. It's two out of five for me. But I'll say, because I watch it and, I, and I'm just watching it. I mean, it, 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 if it was like 25 minutes shorter, this would be kind of like, it, exactly, Jaws the Revenge of the series. It's stupid, but it kind of, it's in and out, you know? It almost has a roaring plane. <laughs> <laughs> but it has so many stupid moments that are almost kind of, like, it looks like it's a prequel to Airplane, right? <laughs> but... I don't know. So I'll say this. But Airport, the original, well, patreon.com slash Uncut Gems Pod, go and, go and listen to this. Because we have like almost like a three hour conversation about how stupid that film is. And this, the fourth one, I'd, I'll probably rewatch before I rewatch the first one. Maybe because it's 20 minutes shorter. And I'm not sure I'm going to rewatch it anyway. But yeah, that's kind of where I am. Four, three, and two. Okay, cool. So. Uh, yeah, I'm mostly on the same page with you guys, and I'll say this as well. I also have the 
uh, Blu-ray box set. And I'm happy to have it. You know, uh, I have had a great time talking about the airport movies with you guys. Although, you know, there's a lot of holes and problems in, you know, this particular series of films a lot. But, you know, I've, I've had really, 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 really a good time discussing the uh, disaster genre with you guys and sort of talking about the business model and, you know, all the holes and the template and whatever. Anyway, um, so, yeah, I enjoyed preparing for this, even though these films aren't great. I will uh, align a little closer to Jack's. I'm going to say Airport 75 is, yes, it's an uncut gem, um, just sort of barely for me. I think it takes an awful long time to get going. So, I originally was giving it a two and a half stars and a maybe, but I do like applying uh, Jacob's metaphor to this. So I will get, happily give this three stars for what it is. Um, Airport 77, I think, is the way to go. It's a solid three star rating for me. And I just, I really, as preposterous as it is, I find once this plane crashes and gets submerged, it it is doing something suspenseful and more or less special like it's very it's simple but it's 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 special at the same time because it's doing something uh practically and it's it's fun to watch you know going back to one of uh billy friedkin's things that he would always say if you want to film something special go out and do something special and film it so that's we get a little bit of that here so it's it's fun to watch this is this is the apex of the series for me and the concord pause airport 79 uh this is a one and a half star if i think about it too much longer it'll probably fall back to a one star <laughs> it's it's not anywhere close to an uncut gem it's sort of a mess i think that jennings lang he's sort of the guy spearheading this for universal because he loves airplanes probably he was talking with uh uh, Air France for years to try to make uh, an air an airplane disaster film with the Concorde. Uh, so I think this is just something he wanted to do. But this is an executive producer that's that's calling the shots. So as we said, like this this messaging of uh, Jennings Lang, his vision is just sort of filtering down through all kinds of studio hands and. Uh, you know, production staffers and office people to say, you know, shoot it this way. And this is what I want. You know, the creative voice is nowhere on this. So the, the plot's a mess. The disaster pieces are these funny little bits with, you know, missiles and, you know, fighter jets are trying to shoot down a commercial, uh, air airline, uh, jet. It, It just, it's really, really preposterous, but they're just these moments. And then when the moments end, there's no suspense anymore. So you have to fall back on a plot. And the plot here is stupid and poorly thought through. A gymnast so. falls in love, and her caretaker is apparently not approving. Case in point. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so stupid. It's so ridiculous. Uh, however, let's find our joy in this. Let's talk about our tops. So, from all three films, I'm wondering if we can find five top moments. And if they all come from one film, that's just great. So, Jack, do you want to lead the way? Right. Oh God. I, I'm I'm going to be quite honest here. I'm, I'm I don't I don't I'm not meaning this to be like hilarious. I can't pick a top for seventy nine. I I couldn't do it. There's nothing in that film I found remotely redeeming. I'm sorry. I, I couldn't. I could not do it. Um. 
I'll go bottom on that one, but I'm joking too easy. Um, I've sort of said a lot of um, my tops and bottoms, but I just want to reiterate it. I'll do a one from each one. Well, I'm not going to do it for Concord, but we'll get there. Um, one of my tops for um, 75, I just still can't get over is how well done that George Kennedy sequence is. When we're, when we're cutting back and forth from the air, um, the, the, the airline, um, we're going back up to the, uh, the actual airplane and we're getting those, those, like he's trying to tell her just to calm her down. And he can't tell her he loves her because he knows that would be the last time. I'm thinking, I'm in the wrong film here. Like, I don't know what's happened here. And then we go back to Charlton Heston. But for the, for a moment now, I was like, oh, wow. Like, what, this is what I wanted in airport. The actual real-life situations with circumstances and fallout. Um, George Kennedy utilised in a small degree, but, but one that brings it home, makes him there, relevant, and, and also um, emotively responsive. Um, Looks of a look. Uh, again, seventy-seven. <laughs> I really like the the the, uh, the fact that they actually sink that plane, and the fact that th this is probably in a bottom, but it's mostly like a laughable one. The the it's stormy weather on top. They they, they land it. They well, they don't land it. They crash it, and the water at the bottom of the, the floor is ice blue. Like it's so blue. <laughs> and then when it goes up, it gets darker and darker and darker. It's like they obviously shot it in a in a, in a pool. It's meant to be Caribbean. Also, um. Like I've not, I've I've done a little bit of diving when I've been on holiday and stuff in the past. But uh, how the fuck is he? Uh, are they just swimming up from the bottom of the waterbed without decompressing, having their fucking head explode as well? I suppose we've got to leave that. It's not that deep, though. Right? I think they're only down fifty feet or something. You can, you can, how? you can, you can, you can dive with. I think you can technically dive without. Um, Without having to like make stops for decompression up to like what like twenty thirty meters I think. But how are they? How are they on the ocean floor at fifty meters? Well, well, I don't know. Well, the Bermuda Triangle is a strange it's in, place. It's, it's the Bermuda Triangle, so I suppose it's on the oh, American just... shelf, continental shelf. <laughs> oh, somewhere. here we go. Look, here we go. I don't know. Again, suspension of disbelief because this plane shouldn't have sunk anyway. Yeah, fair enough. And um, so movie magic. Move yeah. on. <laughs> Uh, I'll probably move it on there then. Also, I'll go to 77. In my, my notes, I've got terrorists, what? Affairs, what? That's a tops <laughs> list, right? No, that's a, that's a bottom. I've got no idea what's... What, I don't really understand the central plotting of 77. I didn't understand that Christopher Lee was talking about gold or something and his wife was having an affair with his assistant. I don't know what was going on there. I mean, it's just all over the place, really. He's an experienced yeah. scuba diver. Didn't fucking go very well, did it? Bless him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, struggles I, I, yeah, struggles I, with doors. Yeah. Yeah. Or he just, lied on his CV. Yeah. That's what he did. But I'll, 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 I'll push it onto you two, though. I'm quite interested to what you two will say about yours. All right. Yeah. Uh, what do you got? I have to have something from the from from the fourth one because otherwise it would be unfair. So I'll say the Jaws like theme music, Lalo Schifrin's music in general, like when it's opening and actually just oh, it sounds like Jaws, and then and then eventually I was just like this movie is kind of like Jaws the Revenge, but kind of not as good. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm gonna leave it there. Um, I've got climb, baby, climb. <laughs> Charlton Heston, really good. Um, I've got um, the. 
the, the, the leveling set piece in Airport 75 when Karen Black's kind of trying to get the hang of what she's doing and it's really a suspenseful piece because she has no idea. She's trying to kind of speak to these people and she has no idea what, what they're telling her. It's actually an interesting piece of drama. I really like it. From the second one, which is the third one, I will say the, the entire final act is a great moment. Like the whole, it, just the, the rescue sequence is just great. Um, and the best is the balls to put this of the, the tethering scene with this one guy dropping to his death. I like the balls on that scene. Really love the scene. Like it's it's really edge of your seat stuff, and it's a, a lot of it's actually filmed with an, a real plane tethered into something. So they really make very cool usage of real life fo- footage that they shot for like thirty thousand dollars a day or something. So with a real jumbo jet. So I I like that. That's, been, that's very, very, very cool. Okay, so an honorable mention just to uh, Airport 77 and just James Stewart being there. James Stewart, the old man James Stewart, just simply reminds me of my grandfather. So an honorable an honorable mention for nice. J- Jimmy Stewart showing up in the, the third film. Okay, <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> he can't help himself. I can't help myself. Legend. Okay, uh, yeah, really hard to find something, but I wanted to as well from Airport 79. So what I'll say is this, Petroni dealing with the passengers, I, I, this is probably just his performance in general. I find that he does have a nice presence. And he, Anyway, one point, he says, um, people relax if they hear you relax. You should hear my yawn. So I thought that was sort of a cute moment. Um my number four from airport 77, the military raising the ship at the end. I think that's just sort of cool to watch. And then you've got the underwater photography looks great as well. Uh, number three from airport 75, uh, when the jet is landing, the wing takes out a shed and there's an explosion sound effect, which I thought was just campy. Great. Number two. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You mentioned this, the pilot drop sequence in airport 75 it's fun spectacle uh, the Mega man's coming from the yeah, from the first uh, from the from the first pilot to the second pilot that's just sort of fun uh and number one my favorite bit is the cargo door opening sequence in airport 77 which leads to christopher lee's death and jack lemon's you know brilliant scuba diving sequence that's just sort of fun so that's me. All right, let's move on to the bottoms. Jack, do you have a bottom five? Oh God, no! I, 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 I sort of cocked up in. I did the bottom on both. Um, I, I can do a little bit here. Um, so I you think, have a bottom ten? <laughs> no, I, I did. Um, I in my in my previous one, I did bottoms and top. So that's why I did the terrorists. Um, the terrorists are not going to be in my top. <laughs> Um, I'll go bottom. Uh, I think the, the don't the, worry, we didn't notice by the way. No, it's all right. <laughs> I think the George Kennedy, uh, I know you two are going to probably mention this. I'll go very quickly. I think the George Kennedy, um, oh God, I can't believe I'm going to say this. The George Kennedy gun thing, uh, with the flare is just like atrociously shot. But the fact that he goes around in, in, in a 180 and he finds it inside and it goes off, it's just like, oh, Jesus, what like the, the, the comedy of errors, it's like Looney Tunes. Um, I think at times the dialogue throughout all three films is terrible, but there's some bits in in seventy five with Charlton Heston. I don't I don't know how he got through his wedding day with his vows if he ever got married, because like the guy cannot be 
um, emotionally um, vulnerable whatsoever. He's like, I love you. And he's like, what? Why don't you just look at her when you say it at least? Like, you could die. <laughs> anyway, whatever. Um, She's too old for him. Uh, well, I'll, I'll let that... I'll let that sink in. He was like um, Leonardo DiCaprio of his time. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> so just, stupid. He, he, he was more in love with his 12 gauge. But um, yeah, I'd say the constant set pieces um, in the 79 were really disappointing because they're all poor. Um, it's like, I mean, 79 is a film reminds me of like when you're on a, on, on a, when you're with someone and they go like, yeah, like uh, I'm really quite smart. Like I've got like a, I've got a PhD, like, you know, I get paid really well for my job. Like, I'm quite smart. And you go, can you name a continent? And they go, um, Egypt. And it's like, what? Like, it's just like, shut the fuck up. Like, it, it, stop trying to access yourself to being really smart. And you don't have any idea. Like, can, can what, what, what part of, um, is the United States, what, what, what continent is that in? And they go, Africa. It's like pe- people just like, like, just have this identity of, trying to showcase all the best bits and in Ultima it just comes across quite pandering and 79 is that film where if it was a person you just like if the you know you look through the tweets and you just see how much shit they come out with and it came out that they actually don't have any form of real education real insight that's what 79 <laughs> annoys me about the most but otherwise airport, uh, yeah airport that, airport 79 is like an annoying distant cousin yeah I'm just glad we don't have that. Na- <laughs> don't have Airport 1985. I'm glad it ended. Thank God. <laughs> it's Thank it's, God it's nice. Yeah, tightly, uh, tightly bound to the 70s only. Okay, that'd be it. Though. All right, Jakob, what have you got? Like I have a whole list, so I'm gonna go film by film. Just, just gonna list them, and go most it. of them are in 1979. But let's just say, um, <sighs> she. Doris Swanson, she's a girl on dialysis, and and she says, "Oh, thank God, I'm, my kids are healthy." <laughs> <laughs> what? And she probably wrote that line. Yeah, what, yes, what a <laughs> bleeding heart. The most um, the most annoying cinema patron ever. Got that one. Um, yeah. This the nun speaking to Linda Blair. It's just the whole. <sighs> yep. Yeah. Um, Oh, the kid in in this in the second one when he's just a walking talking seven four seven commercial, just can kill him. Just can we please depressurize the cabinet and just have him just leave? Um, I've got okay from nineteen seventy seven. I've got gross national product of Texas. Texas is not a nation. Nope. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, I. <sighs> Karen's getting a drink. Maybe that it will fix her accent. I don't know why I read, wrote that. Anyway, a lot of men bums. <laughs> Benji, I'm your grandpa. That's okay. <laughs> this is what a line. And from 79, and here I go. Okay. That's most of my notes from this. It's actually a bottom bottom sort of scenario. So, um, are all these movies product placements? Um George Kennedy looks at the Concorde the way middle-aged women look at babies. <laughs> <laughs> he just like stands there on the tarmac. He goes like... <laughs> it's like old men looking at big heavy machinery. I swear to God. I grew up in a culture of this. Yeah. It's a thing. 
like uh, like men congregating around an uh, around an open bonnet like looking at an engine yeah. totally like, let's uh, go to a car show no thank you uh, yeah and then someone goes like <laughs> i you know what we should totally put a 16 in phalange on this and every, everyone goes like oh totally <laughs> um i've got oh in the set piece when the guy enters the the, the house shoots a guy the woman runs upstairs he uh, takes the phone off the hook and she goes like, hello, hello. And then she then hides on a window. Like she just climbs out. And he did, like I was just like, my nose like, why didn't he just shoot her through the window? Is this b- window bulletproof? Yeah. <laughs> it, it was so easy. It already made a racket. So just like, bam, bam, and, and leave. Okay. Um, What did he say? How should I know? That's when when the guy, the Russian guy, ent- goes on the bus. It's weird. Oh, the uh, stewardess goes like, "You are such men." And George Kennedy says, "They don't call it the cockpit for nothing." <laughs> um, actually, apparently, co- comes from the uh, term coxswain, which is um, not nothing to do with cockfighting or anything or or people's penises. It's it's a maritime shipping term. I checked. Uh, the sax guy. If I sat near him, I'd be fucking livid. It goes on the plane. It goes oh. like, with, I don't, I, I don't put my saxophone away. I'm gonna be playing my saxophone all trip. Fucking just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's and, and the and the Latina lady with her little dog. It's a seeing eye dog. No, it's not. Uh, yeah, not funny. Is that it? No, no, I've got three okay. more. Okay, let's go. I've got three more. So I've got my my note says like <laughs> I'm not sure Maggie's call was private in that cockpit through a headset. Because <laughs> 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 she's having this conversation with like an arms deal. It's your signature, right? And the camera pulls up, and there's like three guys. <laughs> it's just so bad. I've got sped up evacuation. Which is like everyone's evacuating. You can clearly see it's like 1.5 speed. <laughs> it's just so bad. And I've got when the guy kills himself, the suicide gun position. When he kills himself like this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just such a very. Like he points the gun at his face and just with both hands and pulls the trigger with both hands. Like, boop. I'm like, yeah. why? So that's my list. I essentially just went through most of my notes. <laughs> yeah, well, they were great. Okay, so Sorry. for for me, I'm going to add one that I didn't have there because my number one was originally Jimmy Walker on his saxophone. That <laughs> that sax. guy in his sax, they can go. They can go bite one. That was brutal, not funny. Uh, anyway, so what it's I like will... the guy with a cello. Yeah, and why wouldn't Jimmy Walker just buy a seat for his saxophone? He's obnoxious enough to. Ugh. Anyway. Okay, so yeah, the the one I will add to my list in place of that is the good in, in Airport 79, the Concord, pause, Airport 79, the goodwill ge- gesture to Russia, you know, with the approaching Olympics, and basically they have the, the main Russian character other than the gymnast, who can only find love with an American, but this Disney character who's basically goofy 
is this Russian wrestler, and this is how they portray. Uh, this is how they portray their their nemeses, I guess. So I just thought that's it's a fairly insincere goodwill gesture, if that's what it meant was meant to be. Um, okay, the number four is in Airport seventy five, the singing nun. Number <laughs> number three in seventy nine. Way better in airplane, by the way. You know the the whole idea of the the heat-seeking missile plus the effects, which look terrible. Uh, the changing of course in midair. This missile moves like it's a fish. It's so stupid. It's like stupid. airplane the sequel. <laughs> it's a, totally. Yeah. Let's turn around. Really, really, really terrible. Uh, number two from Airport 79. Oh, the wheelchair courier who brings to uh, Susan Blakely these important, precious documents. And then she shouts to the, the guy that the owns... Documents. The guy that owns the company that sold arms. He, he She yells to this guy, You murdered Carl! Weird it's moment. Carl. Car, Car, <laughs> Carl was the guy that uh, said he was going to deliver the documents to the reporter. And... He shot her. He shot him in the doorway. Yeah, but anyway, the answer is who gives a shit? Who but. cares? Yeah, that's true. That's the shorter <laughs> answer. But the whole moment felt like the moment in uh, uh, Princess Bride, where all of a sudden you have someone just going, "Boo, boo," and that's what this moment felt like to me. It's just this woman in a wheelchair. Boo! You murdered Carl. Really stupid. And we needed my new bottom bottom because Jimmy Walker's saxophone. I I got to say it and it's not even on my list, so it's great. So my new number one is Gloria Swanson and the fact she wrote her own dialogue and refused to sit up straight in her seat. <laughs> just do you think me. that he just didn't want to deal with her? It's not it's like, oh Gloria, do what you want. It's just like, oh fucking hell. If if we tell her again not to write her own lines, she's gonna lose her shit, and we're just gonna lose a whole day of shooting because she's gonna just throw a tantrum and then just lie on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Could be like it's, it's it's somewhere. It's still it's the same world of dealing with this star where it's eye rolling. Just maybe I think they just said right from the stop, we're happy to have you, Glory. Just do what you want, and we'll sort of get what we want in the edit. Anyway, all right, that is it. We have landed this baby and taxied it to the gate. Depending on the jurisdiction, this is a fairly hard film uh, to find. You can rent it pretty much anywhere, but it's hard Which to one? find streaming. All of them. Uh, where are my notes? Somewhere. Uh, on streaming, Airport 77 is available on Hollywood Suites in Canada. And all four airport films are available on Paramount Plus in France. Um, but other than that, you can rent them or buy them digitally pretty much anywhere. You can get uh, the DVDs and Blu-rays for all four. There's a, a really nice box set, which Jacob owns, I own. So if you really want to put yourself through... Jack should own. <sighs> yeah, if you really want to put yourself through The Ringer and a really interesting study on disaster films in the 70s, then go out and get it. Uh, but anyway, I will let anyone who has been with us this long and listen to all of our thoughts make that decision. But I, I stand by my purchase. I don't mind having made it. Jack. Well, I'm not getting rid of it because it's out of print now. Yeah. yeah. And I don't mind. It's, I'm not embarrassed to own it. 
we'll say. All right, Jack, where can our friends find you and your work? You can find me on Letterboxd and Twitter with the username at JackLukeSharp and find my reviews and occasional features on ClapperLTD.co.uk. Awesome. Jakob, what about you? So you can find me dropping um, drop, dropping shit takes on Twitter at TalkAboutFilm. Uh, you can find me dropping one-liner reviews on Letterboxd as Jakob Flash, and you can also find my just weird-ass long essays on FlashOnFilm.com, which is F-L-A-S-Z on Film.com. And you can also find Randy's piece in there um, yep. uh, recently. It's actually two now. Um, yeah. So, you know. Ramping so up the writing. Opinions right. on on cinema, unfiltered. Don't even call them reviews anymore. This is stupid. Because I just, I just don't know. I have ideas. I'll just, I don't know. I think I'm going to write about robot jocks and Speed Racer and see what happens. And then post it up, see what happens. Anyway, and I also write on Medium. So at Jakob Flash on Medium, you can just read my shit about anything, everything else that's not film related. Um, that's me. Perfect, perfect. All right. You can find me on X at Randy Burroughs. You can find me on Letterboxd at Bratch7. Um, and as Jakob mentioned, I, I did just have a piece that Jakob was so kind enough to uh, release on his site, flashonfilm.com. And that piece is about the disaster film in Hollywood, the retirement villa that it turned into for all these old stars. And people should also, especially if you were patient enough to get through all of our nonsense opinions on disaster films and terror in the skies if you had that patience you should go to flashonfilm.com and check out Jacob's piece on mm. the the great metaphor for what these disaster films are and it's all present in airport 75 and the mind's a great little companion piece to that if i don't say so myself um i was sort of proud of how that came out um great so check that out you can find us on uh, the web, our headquarters is uh, uncutgemspodcast.com. All of her stuff is there, some information about us and uh, sort of a rundown on what we're doing on the main show and uh, also Patreon, and it's all there historically, so you can check out all of our stuff there. Um, and next week, meet us back here at the same gate because we're continuing our travelogue, our 1970s terror in the skies business. We're going to be boarding the Hindenburg, starring George C. Scott, directed by Robert Wise. That's it for today. So have a safe journey. Bye-bye.